does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. We thought they would actually stay. We were just trying to get him one-on-one and then set something up weak side. But if they kept doing what they were doing, then we wanted him to be in place to be able to make that shot. And Zach did a good job of making that thing. I think a lot of people look at things in theory and say, like, hey, your best player's got to take the last shot. Your best player's got to make the best decision. And you can't dictate everything. The other team will dictate some things. They came hard on the trap, and I thought he made a great decision, and Fletch made a huge shot. Race is a better matchup on Murray, and we knew that coming in. And You know, but that wasn't a difference. We just didn't play like we played the first half. You know what I mean? We, our defense, it just went the other way. And, I mean, and Murray had his way. He was a big part of it. You know, we, we hold him. I think he had 21 in the second half, and that's, that's huge when you're trying to win a close game. And uh, and it didn't help us that we missed free throw. I got another year on my contract. So if I'm allowed, then I'll be back. If not, I still support on Twitter. Um, it's cool, man. And whenever you can, um, whenever you can make it that far, you know, it's, it's a blessing. It is, you know, that's the elite of the elite. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's good, man. I, I enjoy I enjoy the process. This is, uh, not my first rodeo, right? But it's uh, no matter what, you know, rather it's the fourth time or 40th time, I may enjoy the process and uh, go with the flow. And whatever happens, happens, you know? That would be the voices of Matt Painter, Mike Woodson. We love you, Reggie Wayne. That's a really deep cut inside radio reference. Given the voice that you hear today, it's Greg Rakestraw filling in on the fan morning show here on Morning Show. It's not morning. It's afternoon. It's midday show. Probably should know the name of the show. It's like Host 101, right? 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Hello, how are you? I hope you are doing well. Um, All of those three voices that you heard are things that are up for discussion, up for debate, topics that we'll get to, if not in the opening segment of the show. We'll certainly do that for both Purdue and IU, given the fact they played last night, and knowing that the season finale rolls around for the Colts on Sunday, and then I will be there and talking about it on the same radio airwaves here on The Fan and on the uh, radio network, as in the Bell Tire radio network for the Colts. Uh, clearly that is up for discussion as well. Kevin Bowen will be joining us. He of the Fan Morning Show, whom I was a guest of he and Jake's earlier today. Um, We'll talk to Kevin coming up in his usual Friday slot in the 2 o'clock hour. Uh, Between now and then, I'm sure Kevin is at the Colts Complex and have a final word with Jeff Saturday for the course of the regular season. Then we'll have post-game commentary from Jeff. And then... We play the waiting game as to exactly what is going to happen for the Colts going forward. If you want to talk about that, the normal ways that you can be a part of the show remain the same. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw, where you interact with me on Twitter. And they still have to let me have an email handle here, too. Uh, Greg at 1070thefan.com works if you want to chat in that variety. Let me set the other guests for the show And then we'll kind of get to the topics of the day on the program. Coming up at 1245, my world is largely high school basketball during this time of year. On Wednesday night, uh, I had a game between Park Tudor and Lawrence Central. That was the uh, end of a 10-day stretch 
where I had a game each and every day. Not all of that was high school. A couple of those were Colts. A couple of those were IUPUI from the college basketball perspective, but uh, also had a stretch last week. I did 12 games in 75 hours, and all of those were high school basketball games. Only person that puts in similar work to me in terms of number of games covered, gone to, attended, etc., maybe like my officiating friends like a Chris Shields, maybe Clark Wade who like photos and videos, all of those from the Indianapolis Star, the guys that produce the games for me on the ISC Sports Network and on my NDTV 23, Cal Nenrip's the only other guy that puts in that level of work. And of the different games that I went to during that stretch, I know I saw him in Newcastle, frankly saw him at Lawrence Central on Wednesday night as well. Tonight I've got Ben Davis and North Central and I'll talk to Kyle coming up a little bit later on this hour. During the 1 o'clock hour of the show, let us not forget that, oh yes, the Indiana Pacers will now be getting a lion's share of the spotlight um, if they haven't been already. But as the Colts season hits the past tense, now we want to get to talking about the Pacers, where last year, that was not so much. We're talking about, hey, what's the draft pick going to be? Hey, what does the offseason look like? No, now this team has played itself into a point even if they couldn't hang on to the lead and finish in Philadelphia on Wednesday, where you want to hang on every Pacers game. And so we bring you more Pacers content. Obviously, this is the home of the Indiana Pacers on the fan. And Scott Agnes, who has covered the Indiana Pacers in a variety of outlets. And Eddie Garrison informed me that one of those outlets that Scott is now covering the team for is us 1075thefan.com you can read some of scotty's work he will join us during the one o'clock hour of the program and when you do this on a semi-regular slash occasional basis you also just get to have a segment or two where you talk to kind of people that you want to or you go hey that's a good conversation to have ted karras is once again the head football coach at marion university They have had two football coaches in their program's history. Ted Karras was the first coach from year one in 2007 through him winning a national championship in 2012. The next 10 years, Mark Henniger did a heck of a job as the football coach at Marion. Mark has moved to an assistant AD's position at Marion. So who does Marion go get to be their next head coach? Well, it's the guy who was the first head coach in Ted Karras. He also, of course, has a son in Teddy that is a starting offensive lineman for one of the best teams in football, that being the Cincinnati Bengals. And obviously, Cincinnati has been at the epicenter, not in the way they had expected when the Bills and Bengals played on Monday night. The collision involving T. Higgins and DeMar Hamlin, that happened maybe about five or six yards from him. And if you're watching that highlight is the wrong term, if you're watching that clip, one of the first people that you see take a knee is Ted Karras III, is Teddy. So we're going to talk to Ted about being back in Marion, but also being a dad, being a you know former NFL player yourself, and trying to talk to your son about the most traumatic event I'm sure he has seen on a football field. We'll have those conversations coming up. And since we have gone down that path, allow me to share with you the continued tremendous medical progress that DeMar Hamlin is making in Cincinnati. The breathing tube is out. Sh- uh, Sham Sharania, who isn't he an NBA guy? 
Well, he had this NFL news this morning. Breathing tube has been removed. In fact, DeMar had a Zoom call with his Bills teammates at practice in Buffalo today. Wasn't a lengthy conversation, and there is still a long way to go, but the work that the first responders on both teams, medical practitioners in Cincinnati, miracles do happen. Little prayer and faith didn't hurt in that equation as well. So I want to make sure I shared that with you off the top of the show. So that's the guest roster as of now. Got guests at 1245, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and 2.30. Other than that, if you want to join in the conversation, because as compared to Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Charlie Clifford, etc., is me and me. I mean, my like producer of choice in Garasino, using his soccer Saturday name, is here. And he knows he is always welcome to crack a lack the microphone when given the opportunity. But Eddie Garrison on the ones and twos, but it's me and me, which means it's really me and you at 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Or again, you can email the show, Greg at 1070thefan.com. But let's get to current events first, shall we? And again, I'll go back to the fact that most nights, I'm calling a game in some gym or some arena somewhere. Last night was not one of those nights. A nice, relaxing night at home with the family. And the schedule makers in terms of having me here and the schedule makers of college basketball were those worlds clearly intertwined yesterday because I had more of a chance to sit down and watch uh, Purdue and Ohio State and Indiana and Iowa than I normally would. And I'll be the first to admit to you, when it comes to the day-to-day happenings of the Colts, pretty clued in. When it comes to the day-to-day happenings in high school sports, yeah, I'm on that beat too. Indy 11, et cetera, small colleges, you tend to know what's going on. Um, I wouldn't say I've checked out, but it's simply not my job to be there and give you a play-by-play recount normally of what happens in college basketball or what happens from a Pacers perspective but every time I know I'm going to sit in this chair I prep for it like a play-by-play guy I'm like okay kind of have to have an intelligent um you know or a certain level of knowledge to have intelligent conversations or intelligent enough of conversations with you for them to actually want to have me back in this seat again um so with that I'm like great I get to sit down and watch some basketball And I will take them in chronological order and also the order of their rankings. Let me give you a big picture thought because I've frankly seen more of Purdue this year than I had IU, um, just kind of the way things have worked out. And frankly, I find Purdue a more enjoyable team to watch as evidenced by one being ranked first, one being ranked 15th, one being 14 and one, the other one being 10 and four, which isn't terrible. And yes, there were some extenuating circumstances last night, but we'll get to IU coming up in a matter of moments but first things first on Purdue they've been number one for the last month I don't know if they'll be number one don't think so when the new AP polls come out um, on Monday and it's nice for Purdue when you've got that when you've got that 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 title in front of your name but for Purdue it's all about potentially being a number one seed so for it's Purdue it's all about potentially going to the final four And again, this was in a year where we thought they would be good, but they would take a step back in terms of what their seating was. 
Eddie, look this up to make sure. Purdue was a number three seed, I believe, in last year's NCAA tournament. I think I know that because Kentucky was a two. St. Peter's beat them as a 15. St. Peter's then got to Purdue in terms of the Sweet 16 and Purdue's that which would make Purdue the three seed if, if I have that radiocarbon dating correctly in my head. And Purdue played above that level for most of last year. Obviously, we're a number one team when Rutgers beat them last year, let alone doing that earlier this week. So Purdue was legitimately a top five team that was a number one seed for most of the year. Faded back a little bit towards the end, but three seed level and Eddie nodding his head accordingly. Thank you very much. Uh, probably probably in, in most people's estimation, Purdue is thought to be like maybe three seed material, four or five seed material. Like, hey, they're probably a top 20, top 25 team. But I'm not sure anybody thought with having to rely so much on new members of the backcourt and a true freshman duo in Smith and Lawyer that, and again, obviously you've got a weapon unlike any other in Zach Eady, and we'll talk about that in a matter of moments. But this team has been playing above their level all season long. So I'm not surprised that Rutgers got them. I would not have been surprised if Ohio State had beaten them last night. You're not going to get through the minefield of the Big Ten with as deep, even if it's not as top-heavy as it's seemingly been in past years, but with as deep as the league is, there's only a, a team or two you go, hey, that's that's a W because the bus got there on time. Purdue's going to gonna probably lose four or five games of the Big Ten. It's just going to happen this year. I Do I think Purdue is really the number one team in the, in the nation? Probably not. Did they have the best resume until they lost to Rutgers? Yes, because of whom they played. And... If you're a Purdue fan, should you be absolutely giddy about how your team is playing? Absolutely, you should be. So I'm not trying to throw water on your parade in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And I am rooting for you Boilermakers. I absolutely am. I want to see Matt Painter be successful. I want to see the guys who I know, having called their games we're living primarily in the high school basketball world over the course of the last four or five years. I want to see Braden Smith be successful. I want to see Caleb First be successful. I want to see Fletcher Lawyer be successful. I can go on and on and name half the roster as to young men I covered during their high school days. I want that team to win. Watching them last night was intriguing because it's such a contrast. Zach Eady may be the most guaranteed bucket in college basketball because there is no one like him. And to Zach's credit, he largely does what he does. He gets a touch every time down that he is in the game. The entire offense is predicated around him as it should be. He may be the single biggest mismatch, the single biggest advantage that a team has in college basketball. And again, let me offer the first of many Mia couples today. I don't watch the level of college basketball that I did, say, four, five, and six years ago. I just don't. Okay? But I can't imagine that there is a player that there is less of an answer for in college basketball than that guy. You get him turning over his left shoulder, bucket. You get him on that left block where he can turn back towards the middle, 
Yes, he did have a putback attempt blocked last night by a player that's about, what, seven or eight inches smaller from Ohio State. And yes, I know Ohio State lost one of their bigs early in the first half of last night's game. But, dude, that is automatic. And and, and the other thing, and, and I say this, the high school example I will use, I had a stretch of seeing a bunch of games of Floyd Badunga and Kokomo. And I've told my friends in high school hoops, listen, Kokomo is going to lead the state in open threes this year because Floyd's going to see two or three guys. Just a matter of can the guys from Kokomo knock it down. Well, it's great roster construction for Purdue, and you expect anybody to have guys at the major college level that can all knock down open threes, but that's their offense, okay? Smith generates, Smith dribbles all over the place. Guys are camping in the corner. Guys are giving Edie space because if you think about doubling him, Zach will find that guy because he can literally look over the defense, and it's your job to knock down an open three, which after not doing that in, say, the first 10 to 15 minutes of last night's game, Purdue absolutely did that repeatedly for the remainder of the contest, whether it was Mason Gillis, Ethan Morton, Smith, Lawyer, uh, whomever. You know, again, took a while to kind of kick in, but they did it. And so seeing something that is so different in Edie makes Purdue, whether you're rooting for Purdue, rooting against Purdue, or just happen to, you know, turn on the TV because it's on, they are a fascinating watch. But at the other end, the same advantages that Edie provides you can be a detriment because, yes, absolutely huge but just doesn't have the natural athleticism and quickness to be able to then go guard a guy on the wing. And so the same advantage Purdue has on one end is a disadvantage defensively because every team in the Big Ten should basically run some sort of variation of whomever is is Zach Eady is guarding, get out, set a ball screen, and see what happens. That's pretty much what Ohio State did. And... They were a late bucket by Fletcher Lawyer away from potentially winning that basketball game, which would have been an upset, but not some sort of monumental upset. So you're kind of living with the, hey, I know I know you're good for a bucket at one end. You may lead to us giving up buckets at the other end. So it's just in, in an era where so many teams play a similar way, and it, it, it's unique to see something different. So, again, so as somebody that isn't locked in on an everyday basis, it was fascinating to watch Purdue last night. But to their credit, they found a way to get the job done. On the flip side, the team that followed them didn't get the job done. And I am less apt to criticize Indiana blowing a 20-point lead which you should not do. It was so early in the game, and everything was kind of so one-sided for Indiana early, you're not going to keep that pace, especially against a team like Iowa, who is going to play such a high-possession style. Everything now in a 30-second shot clock era tends to be high-possession, but especially Iowa. I mean, let's face it, and Eddie, feel free to jump in and, and correct me or remind me. I mean, Iowa's going to press more than any other team in the Big Ten. Iowa tends to score more than any other team in the Big Ten. 
They probably also tend to give up more points than most teams do in the Big Ten. And so, in other words, getting down by 20 early, Iowa knows they're going to get plenty of shots to get back in the game. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and rip on Indiana for getting up, what, 23-4 to and 28-7 to and seeing that lead evaporate. Let's face it, okay? By the time it was halftime, this was largely a one or two possession game for most of the second half. It was a back and forth game. And even though Iowa came in at eight and six and 0 and three, again, what did I just talk about previously in, in kind of reference to Purdue? There's just not that big of a difference, say one through 12 in the Big Ten this year. So we're talking about a road game. We're talking about a team in Iowa that is that that again in a 20 game conference schedule starting 0 and 4 is not good but but again every loss that you have to start the year with an O in front of you on the left hand side of the victory column it is even exponentially more important for you to find a way to win that game you're defending home turf so in other words I'm not surprised that Iowa won that game me either okay the part I think for me, Rake, that really shifted up the game itself is when Race Thompson went down sure. in the first half because he was able to kind of neutralize Chris Murray. I wouldn't say he was able to take him away by any means, but he had seven points through 10 minutes of the first half, uh, and then Race exits, and he has 23 the rest of the way. So you get the idea Yep. that, again, extenuating circumstances. You've already lost Xavier Johnson. Now you lose another key piece. Um, but so... <laughs> Is it a tough loss? Yes. If you want to say it's a bad loss because you once led by 20, okay, I'm fine with that. But going to Iowa City, even if it's a place you've had success in the past, not exactly a guaranteed win for Indiana. You could be mad about the fact that a lot of the same mistakes or problems or issues from years gone by for IU seem to be similar here. Obviously, Hood Shafino knocked down threes at an impressive clip last night. But again, it's not an IU team that is going to do that as well as, say, Purdue. It's it's just kind of they they're 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 okay at it. They need to be better at it. But at this point in time of the season, I'm not sure that is going to greatly improve. So disappointing loss for Indiana last night. It is not a oh my god, what are we doing wrong? This is terrible loss for IU last night. It's just kind of further confirmation that. This IU team, people assume because it was such an experienced group with a couple of talented freshmen coming in, in Renew, Hood Shafino, et cetera, that just thought they were going to make the leap. That because they had so many pieces back from last year's team, that even though they were a fringe NCAA tournament team last year, played in Dayton to get a win, and then obviously got crushed after that, People just assume that, hey, because of all the experience they have back, this is a top five, top 10 team. No, no, they're not. Probably a borderline top 25 team. Do I think they're going to flirt with the same level of the NCAA tournament that they did a year ago? Probably not. So there's some improvement there, but not the level in which we expected. So Purdue fans... You'd be celebrating your basketball team. Yeah, there's some things last night that were cause for concern. I think you live with that because of the advantage that you have in Edie, the um, medal being shown by your freshman backcourt of Smith and Lawyer. Not a perfect team, far from it, but you're finding ways to win. 
And there's something to be said for that. For IU, a loss is never fun. A loss is never good. That's by no means is that a moral victory loss in Iowa City. Not the end of the world. So now let's talk about another comparison that I will make from watching those two games last night. And then the sideshow that is watching Fran McCaffrey coach in the Big Ten. First of all, again, let me put my hand up and admit I am what I am and I am what I am not. Uh, again, watching Big Ten hoops is not – I'm not getting in like six and seven Big Ten games a week so I can give you an idea as to exactly what's going on in the conference. It's, it's just not my job description anymore. Life gets in the way. I'm usually out calling basketball games. When I'm not, I'm actually trying to spend time with my wife and kids at home and remind them, you know, that the kids kind of look like me. Um, So I have heard the increased Twitter chatter over the years about Big Ten officiating. Um, And again, I view it differently because I tend to know not as many anymore, but I tend to know a few of the guys that are out there running down the floor because I saw him coming through working IUPUI games and, and things like that over the years. So I tend to be one that engages less in, oh, they cheated us. Oh, these guys are terrible. Oh, they're always one-sided. But I'll make it a point to say that in watching that game between Purdue and Ohio State, I thought, this is about as well of officiated game as I have seen in a long time. Like every time there was a call or a whistle, I tended to kind of nod and go, yep, I think that was the absolute right call. So I kind of made a mental note of that to bring that up on the show today. Then we get to the Indiana game, and there is the first technical on Fran McCaffrey, which I have no problem with. There's the delay of game technical given to Indiana for throwing the ball back to the official. And again, tell me if I missed something. You could have given that as a delay of game and not as a technical foul, right? I mean, don't don't you normally generally give a warning on that and saying, hey, just don't touch it. Official will go get the ball. Player will go get the ball. Because it's not like Indiana was doing that to set up a press. You know, some teams intentionally will do that or they'll take that delay of game. They don't have a timeout to get their press set. That was not the scenario in which that was happening. But then the but then the other two things, and one benefited IU on the basket that went off for Trace Jackson Davis late, where the basket was not interfered with, but clearly touched by the Indiana player. And that was then discussed and then missed by the officiating crew. But then the bigger to-do, of course, would be um, Fran going psychotic at the Indiana assistant coach who was talking with the official. Because the assistant made the, and I'm using the air quotes here for those of you not watching on the video feed, mistake of talking with the official. And this is not during, like, run of play. This is over on the sideline when you generally have those conversations with officials. And yes, I know that usually it's the head coach that has those conversations, not the assistant coach. But in a stoppage of play, why do you care if the other assistant coach is talking with the official? What, and then what, what would then 
I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Why the need to cross half court and get in that official and assistant coach's face for having that conversation? Like, if you want to yell at the bench, hey, that shouldn't be you having that conversation, I don't think that's necessary. I don't have a problem with that. But there should never be a scenario unless you are going to either break up the fight or intentionally start the fight that you cross that half-court line in that scenario. And when you do, that is an automatic do not collect $200, straight to jail, technical foul, and in that scenario, ejected from the game. So, do I think that cost Indiana the game last night? No. Indiana cost that cost themselves the game last night. Iowa went out and won that game. Officiating didn't cost them that game. But there is no way that Fran McCaffrey should have finished that game on the sidelines for Iowa. And I would hope the Big Ten might consider it having making sure that Fran was on the sidelines for the next game because he should have been tossed from the end of that game. And for the life of me, I don't understand why at the college level, why the dialogue is allowed to go in the fashion in which it is. You know, we talk about points of emphasis earlier in the season uh, in terms of uh, player movement, player control fouls, whatever whistles. And by the time you get to especially Big Ten play, it's basically armed combat out there. And we can talk about regulating that on a more uh, game-by-game basis too. But it floors me, the reactions that coaches are allowed to have. If you want to crack down on something in basketball, Crack down on that. Toss a couple of high-profile guys. I guarantee you that stops happening quick, fast, and in a hurry. So there you go. There's 30 minutes of monologue from me. Hadn't planned on going 30 minutes in the opening segment of the show, but that's life. We'll take a quick timeout. Something I said in that half hour catch your attention. Phone lines are open now, 317-239-1070. At Greg Reichstraw on Twitter, email the show to greg at 1070thefan.com. Kyle Nenrup at 1245, Scott Agnes after that, after one. Obviously, I have not even mentioned the Colts season finale yet. Obviously, that will be a topic of conversation, and maybe even so when we come back from this quick timeout. It's Greg Reichstraw, and it is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now, normally, I know that when the music plays, it's time for me to start talking. Um, but for whatever reason, after wearing like headsets like every day of my life and doing them when I wear, you know, when I'm doing play by play, so I'm still wearing them on a regular basis. Like when I know I'm going to go like monologue version and just like talk with Eddie here in the studio, like I go, hey, um, I'm not exactly, you know, wearing headsets. Can we go to a phone caller in Justin? 
and I'm sitting there and maybe on the video feed you saw that I'm like, hey, these headsets aren't working. Hey, these headsets aren't working. Hey, Eddie, come fix this. So hence why you got to hear a little bit more. That was the killers right? you were playing coming out of the break, right? Yeah. Isn't that the way that it goes? So literally, and like Eddie gets a, a camera you know, appearance here momentarily, uh, as uh, I talk into a microphone, and we make the music, the, the uh, live radio magic happen. 317-239-1070, of course, is the telephone number, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. You can also email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. As Bill O'Reilly would say, blanket will do it live. There we go. I can actually hear on the headsets now. A uh, quick tweet from Josh. Controlling coaching behavior trickles down to players. Do it at high level, and it trickles to high school. It would make officiating easier at all levels. Excellent point. Yes, that's the case. And it's not, a, it's not an apples for apples comparison, but I think of what my friends at the IHSA have done in terms of really trying to promote their hashtag face of sportsmanship. I think for the most part, coaches get it. Doesn't mean coaching behavior is perfect. Uh, I think the kids are fantastic at it. You know, rarely in a situation like that are the actual athletes at a high school level that I deal with the problem. Um, and when I'm watching a college basketball game, are the actions of the uh, players themselves the problem? Rarely, although, you know, Fran's kid, you know, didn't exactly help the situation last night either. And then goes on the uh, field of 68 live feed after the game and basically says, I, you had no idea what was going on from a zone defense standpoint. Um, and which, while it makes for interesting copy, makes for interesting soundbite, probably, I'm not sure if in if I'm now one in three in Big Ten play, I'm going on to social media and, and ripping the one team that I just beat, but and that's that's just me. Um, but in terms of the the officials, Again, yeah, I'm, I'm watching that, and again, it's it's not limited to Fran McCaffrey, all right? And I'm not commenting on, on Fran as a person because I don't have any interactions with him uh, as a person. Friends of mine do. Uh, a good friend of mine is actually one of Fran's closest friends, and I'll be having a conversation about this, I'm sure, with him later this evening. He's probably put two and two together as to who that friend is if you know who I kind of hang with in terms of covering high school basketball on a regular basis. I'm sure he's a great guy. He is a complete ass on the sidelines, and he was last night. And he had no business seeing the end of that game last night. And his kid that was playing last night clearly takes after his dad in some of those tendencies. Now, again, say it with me. That was not the reason you lost that game last night in Indiana, okay? But... Doesn't mean that was still right either. Josh, thanks for the tweet. I appreciate that. Now, again, I have not talked about the Indianapolis Colts yet. We certainly can on this program. I know Kevin Bowen and I will do that during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. A couple of guests between now and then. Might be a while after this telephone call before we do get to talk more about the Colts. But that is what Justin wants to talk about today. And Justin, the floor is yours. How are you? I'm good. And Greg, I'd like to say I appreciate everything you do for Indiana sports. Uh, I listen to you a lot, and I really, really appreciate the specialism you carry with your job and Thank how you. much you enjoy it. Appreciate it. Um, but pretty much my idea that I've been thinking along the lines with the Colts is if it will be a Pacers approach of run it back with Ballard, with Saturday, with Ellinger, um, use that first-round pick on a high-end talent or a high-end left tackle, and run it back with them and 
just keep expectations where they're supposed to be with that happening. And if it falls flat on the face, you fall flat on the face and you trade up in the draft even more and you, you get it done with the quarterback the next year. But I don't understand why, why just throwing these resources that we have spent away and not going after more things because of these resources we will try to develop. And I, I think a run it back scenario, and then if that doesn't work, trading throughout the season to get higher end draft picks the following year would be our best case scenario. Well, Justin, let me say this: I'll put you on hold. I've only got a couple minutes before I got to get to my my next break and my next guest. So I don't have a chance to kind of fully fully investigate, deliberate that, etc. But what I would say is this: my overarching thought, and because I am saying this, that doesn't mean that's coming from the inside, coming from how the Colts are going to handle this. But knowing that the Colts have so infrequently been in position to draft a potential franchise quarterback, they don't have the same spot to do that in which they had in 1998, where you had the cat birds in on everybody. Same thing in 2012. And I'm not sure that uh, any of the quarterbacks, while thought to be talented coming out of college football this year, are thought to be a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck. The Colts are in position to take a young quarterback and to, to potentially build around that player for the first time in 11 years. And as compared to what you have done for the last four years, um, you've got a chance to, to finally kind of bring in your guy. And not bring in somebody else's guy and try to have him fit your system, your scheme, etc. And so knowing the Colts right now, they'd be drafting fifth. I'm not sure with a win how far up the chart that would go. I guess that's my research project for the break in terms of saying, all right, with a Texans win, where are the Colts likely drafting? Wherever they are drafting in the top 10, clearly Eddie has that answer for me, Um they're likely going to have a quarterback they can go out and get. So if the Texans win and the Bears lose, then the Texans will have the second pick and the Bears will have the first pick. Uh, that Yes, that much I know. Uh, <laughs> in terms of what the Colts could do. Because right now they're five. But again, let's say they beat the Texans, which you can say, I hope they don't. You could say because of what the Texans are, dear God, they better, given how bad this season has been. Colts are five. They could move up. They can also easily move back or down the draft board. And I'll kind of investigate that. Justin, I didn't fully answer your question, but I'm up against the time was, buddy. I appreciate your telephone call. And I'll talk more about this in the next hour of the show. So what I think the offseason moves need to be, should be, will look like, and what overall 2023 will look like for the Colts, because Lord knows 2022 wasn't very good. We'll talk about that later. Little high school hoops when I come back. Kyle Nenrib joins me. Always enjoy my conversations both on the air or off with Kyle. He joins us next. Greg Rakestraw in. It's the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw in. It is the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks to our producer in Eddie Garrison. Justin, thanks for your telephone call and thank you for the tweet that I received from Jeremy. And yes, the sixth pick is as low as the Indianapolis Colts can go in terms of the draft order. And it's quite simple for that reason. From seven up, teams have at least six wins. Colts can obviously have no more than five wins. The Rams are sitting at five and 11. So even with a victory, if it goes that way on Sunday, well, then the Indianapolis Colts 
Could be picking in the sixth position. They obviously cannot get to number one, and they can't get to number two because the best the Bears could do would be four and thirteen. The worst the Colts could do would be four twelve and one. So regardless of what happens on Sunday, the Indianapolis Colts will have pick three, four, five, or six in the upcoming NFL draft. And the last time they were in that um category, that that uh real estate district, Quentin Nelson. In 2018, the Colts traded down from three to six and got a haul of other picks in terms of the process. To the phone lines we go, 317-239-1070. It is Kyle Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star that joins us now. Hello, my friend. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm good, buddy. Have you uh, loaded up the Conestoga wagon to head south yet? Did you decide on what game you were covering tonight? If I can get in the door, I'm going to try to. I, I heard it's going to be, a, and, and probably as expected, a, a packed house down there. So I'm going to try to get down there, yeah, and see uh, Brownstown Central tonight. Uh, so there would be Brownstown Central in Jennings County, and I'm sure they're not going to charge you for a ticket. I'm sure they're going to let you, as a working member of the media, arrive at the game, and once they know whom you are and the <laughs> statewide scope in which you have, they will give you the best seat in the house. Well, I think I can get in the door. A seat is another matter, I think, entirely. But I, I, I said, hey, if I can get in the door, I'm fine with wherever, because uh, that's going to be a fun atmosphere tonight. I think so. Yeah, ch- chance to see uh, Jack Benner, obviously, and in the uh, Jennings County team, which is uh, off to a great start this year. So you know, should be a fun environment down there. Uh, I'm guarantee it'll be a fun environment. I hear there is a new Brownsburg player I need to scout. Is this correct? Cannon Catchings, yes, he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's quite the uh, player. Uh, yeah, but no, I uh, yeah, my son's getting a little time. He's uh, all pretty much all JV though. So, uh, but yeah, that's a really good team this year. Obviously, I heard he got some run in the uh, in the Phil Cox tourney. Is that correct? I didn't get us to go, but yeah, Rob. Uh, Rob was doing the game for you guys, and all of a sudden he texts me. He's like, "I think your son's about to get in the game here." So I was like, "Man, they must be, they must be playing pretty well if that's the case." So, uh, but yeah, good for you know he he's hard, works hard at it. So I'm glad he's having uh, a good season. So now, does that mean, assuming Brownsburg gets a win tonight in the Hendricks County tournament, that I see you tomorrow night at Danville? You get you get to go be a dad on a Saturday night. No, I don't know. Probably not. I'm probably going to go to. Uh, I'm planning to go see Westfield and Carmel, which I ha- I haven't seen uh, Westfield this year. I've traded some some texts with uh, Shane up there at Westfield, and and they're they're having a really good season. So I haven't seen them yet. So I think that's what I'm planning on doing. But uh, but yeah, obviously they've got Alex Romack and and Trey Buchanan and guys like that. But I don't think people no maybe expected them to have this type of year. So you know, and they ha- they they probably have a lot of meat to their schedule yet to get into but even still i mean they're they're uh i think one of those teams that's uh maybe slight surprise you know so far this season so you know shane's done a great job there and i think what you see there is probably some carryover of a uh you know a championship team from last year even though your main guys Braden smith and cam hafner you know have graduated 
but uh, you've got some guys who are part of that. So I think that's I'm, – I'm looking forward to seeing them play against a really good Carmel team is, is my plan for now. No, I had Westfield on Tuesday. It's the second time I've had them this year. And really, the two guys you mentioned are the two guys that had any level of playing time on last year's sectional championship team. I was very um, pleasantly surprised. That was what I saw on Tuesday night because I obviously knew they were 6-1 and one going in. Buchanan had a bit of an ankle injury, missed a couple of games. It was against kind of lesser competition. Westfield really didn't, didn't miss him in those games. He was great on Tuesday. He had 25 points. Uh, for those who know, that's Chad Buchanan's son uh, of Indiana Pacers, uh, front office fame, if you will. Romax is a really good high school basketball player. Um, they and Mount Vernon both. I thought that was a unique mix of those two teams on Tuesday because they're two teams that basically barely returned anything off of last mm-hmm. year's sectional championships, and, and they're and they're going to be good again. I know you've already written about Mount Vernon having three freshman starters uh, that, that Ben Rhodes is putting together. Let's talk about a team that you and I have seen a lot of and a team that I will see tonight. Um, let's talk about Ben Davis. Uh, to me, the team that Ben Davis reminds me of is Warren Central five years ago uh, in terms not just their and-o portion, whether they're going to run the table or not, but that Warren Central team didn't have any truly high-end D1 recruits. Obviously, had a future NFL player on their team and David Bell, and I don't know, maybe Mark Zachary is, is that kid for Ben Davis, but for this Ben Davis group, they just got seven or eight kids that can really play. Your thoughts on that comparison? I like it. I've actually thought about that, you know, and that that's something, um, you know, I would give the advantage, uh, you know, and who knows, I mean, how it plays out. No, no one's going to, you know, that, that Warren Central team can never lose now. You know, so that, that's the thing about them is their, their, their records in the books uh, at this point. And, and I covered that team a lot that year and they always just, they would go a half or three quarters without impressing you. And then they would find a way to win. You know, they'd find a way every single time. And, you know, they weren't an incredibly deep team. You know, Chris Byers didn't play. You know, they didn't go super deep into their bench. But they were similar to Ben Davis in that all five guys who are out there are, are always a threat, which is which I think is very similar to this Ben Davis team uh, because, you know, you can't you can't lay off Sean. All of a sudden, I was talking to a coach the other day. It's like uh, an opposing coach who said, you know, you may have all everybody guarded pretty well or you feel like you're doing a good job on, on Zane Dowdy and Sheridan Sharp, and then Sean Arnold goes and gets an offensive rebound or two or he makes an open shot, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you, you can't forget about him. You know, sometimes there's guys on the floor with with certain teams who it's like, all right, we don't need to concentrate on them as much. Or, you know, and then you look at the Hall of Fame and Mark Zachary with what he did, you know, and, and all of a sudden everybody knows who he is now. And he's a really good player. On most teams he'd be starting and, and uh, you know, getting a ton of time. He doesn't always get that on this team, which, it, you know, Arnold and Zachary are those kind of guys who – they don't need the spotlight, but they can, you know, they can they can earn it uh, in a given game or you know pair of games like we saw with Zachary. So that's the you know, I would say it is a good comparison. I don't want to you know say I don't know who's better you know, and it's if Ben Davis doesn't win the championship, they won't be remembered like that Warren team was obviously. But they have all the you know, everyone you talk to and what you see, it's like they are the best team on January 6th, you know, so, you know, things can change, you know, you never know. It's funny how basketball works. Sometimes you can have a little, uh, you know, hiccup or a little thing change and then your, your chemistry's off. So there's a long way to go. And I think, uh, I think they have the right, uh, mentality for it though because their defense travels, you know, they're always they they play hard. Um, and, and I think they have 
veteran leadership that's very uh, grounded. I, I was joking with Sheridan Sharp after the Hall of Fame. He, you know, he almost immediately he's like, "We've got to be better in the first half." And it's like, "We got to." And I was like, "Sheridan, well, enjoy this. I'm glad you're thinking like a coach, though, because I know that's <laughs> what, what the, I know that's what Don Carlisle wants, but." Make sure you enjoy it too, because these, you know, that that's a big deal to win the Hall of Fame. But, uh, but that, I think that also shows you, like they're not, they're not getting the, putting the, the the cart ahead. You know, they're they're definitely uh, they know they have work to do, and I think that's a good thing. And ultimately, going into the season, we had a favorite for Mister Basketball at the midway point of the season. Who is the favorite for Mister Basketball? You know, I would I would give a slight edge to Marcus Burton uh, right now, even though they they didn't win the Hall of Fame, and I think you know even he would tell you you know he wished he would have played better, uh, but I didn't think he played poorly. You know, I, I think he uh, he was pushed and challenged by Mark Zachary in that Ben Davis defense, and and he didn't shoot it tremendously well. And he also, I know he was battling a a little bit of a toe injury in the second game, and he was more of a facilitator, which uh, he can do that for sure. And he didn't look much slower to me, but I know he was uh, had a little bit of a big toe, toe injury. But with what he's done so far, and I think, you know, from a career standpoint and a season standpoint, I think there's still more work to do. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a big jump from him to Miles Colvin or uh, Xavier Booker. I think Xavier Booker, people forget, I think all of a sudden, like what a second half of the season he had last year. You know, you can't just throw that out either. And, and there's bigger games coming for him. Uh, but right now, I, I think it's fair to, to think maybe Burton's got an edge. And I think, you know, Colvin's going to have some work to do. I saw him the other night, and he was incredible. But uh, their their team record is going to have to to pick up, and they're probably going to have to do some some damage here later in the season uh, in, in the tournament, which is going to be tough in their sectional. So, you know, but I think those are the guys you probably look at that, that are probably the, you know, the ones going into the season you thought would, would uh, be at the front of the line. And, and, you know, I think Burton to this point is probably – uh, maybe a nose ahead. Kyle, as always, I appreciate your time, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Safe travels this evening. All right, anytime. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Kyle Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star joins us on the guest line brought to us by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the MowerShop.com for all your snowblower, commercial and residential mowers plus service and power tools. The Mower Shop is where uh, my mower happens to be from. Should be where yours is from, too. We'll take this quick timeout. Scott Agnes joins us next. We make the shift from talking high school hoops, talking about the Indiana Pacers. Pacers and Blazers tonight. Coverage begins at 6.30 here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fam. From Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Drive, Ubler.com Studios, Greg Rakestraw in... It is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan open phone lines in the next segment of the show. And the segment after that as well, Cal Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star just joined us in the 2 o'clock hour. Kevin Bowen on the program in between hosting this morning alongside Jake Query. He was just out at Colts Complex for the finale of the regular season practices obviously season over on sunday i'm sure there'll be some sort of uh, going away get together 
for us media types and potentially outgoing coaches, players, etc. on Monday. And then we all kind of wait to see what the next batch of announcements will be in regards to the Indianapolis Colts. KB at 2. Once again, the Marion University football coach Ted Karras at 2.30. But right now on the Mower Shop guest line, it is Scott Agnes. And, you know, Scott, I normally say of Fieldhouse Files, uh, do I need to change the attribution as to where fans can now find your work online? Uh, you can add 1070 the fan as well. There you go. We're kind of working with a partnership for sure with, with everyone over there, which I'm excited about. But fieldhousefiles.com continues to be the primary source for everything. Uh, now we just added another avenue, another bucket, as we like to say. Well, welcome back to the team uh, here, at, uh, here at the fan. And uh, obviously – there's going to be a lot of folks that all of a sudden now are going to start paying a lot more attention to the Pacers, given how they have been playing. Frankly, that attention should have been given to them weeks ago. If I had told you that, you know, 40 games in, this team would have been above 500, your reaction would have been what? <laughs> no way, man. No way. <laughs> Nobody believed that. Um, I, I mean, even people over there. Uh, off Delaware Street with the Pacers. I mean, they brought media in before the season to say, hey, be patient with us. We're going to need you. You're going to need us. Let's, let's realize this is a big-picture decision. We're tired of being on the treadmill of mediocrity, meaning we don't want to be the 7, 8, 9 seed year after year. We want to get special. We want to have another chance at a couple top draft picks and build on what we already have, create a culture with, to their credit, I think they've done a phenomenal job of this year. And in large part due to that, the personalities and things clicking faster than anyone could imagine, Greg. Yeah, they're three games over 500, playing well, and uh, all positive things for the most part over there. All right, so with that, at 40 games in, as of tonight, 21-18 and 18, heading into the Blazers matchup, this evening, which you can hear right here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan has the plan now changed? Do you alter anything long-term? Because clearly you are ahead of schedule as to where you planned you would be. Yeah, that, that's the number one question right now. And I will say from the front office side, we haven't got any clear indication just yet. Um, I, I think from what I've learned, what it seems more likely than not is for them to continue on, meaning they're not big sellers by any means. And I think that was one thing the NBA kind of community is curious about is, are there going to be any big sellers? Will this trade deadline even live up to any kind of hype that maybe was thought of before the season when you wondered about the Pacers, you wondered about the Utah Jazz, you wondered would the Lakers be on the other side of that? And with LeBron re-signing uh, signing a contract extension in the summer, would that provide some motivation here and some urgency for the Lakers to be big buyers? On the other side of it, uh, short answer with the Pacers here is I think they're going to continue to look to find ways to maybe find their way into deals. But I right now don't expect you know any kind of grand sell-off or them feeling the urgency to move off many of guys. The number one decision in all this, Greg, that they will have to have some clarity on over the next month is Miles Turner. Sure. Being in a contract year, they have to know about his future. Either will it be here or else you have to trade him or else you lose him for absolutely nothing in the summer. Has that, um, again, the, it's a similar question instead of about an individual instead of a, of, a, of a team, but has the feeling about Miles Turner 
change as to what his role with this franchise because in October man we're like man look at all these pictures that don't include Miles Turner you know that, that that seemingly Miles is not in the marketing of this team going forward you know he's he's been here for a while but it's not gonna be him going forward now has his or the team's or even the fan base's idea on what Miles's role going forward has that changed yeah doesn't it seem like the fan base has warmed up to him yep. even more so uh, and I want to give him credit. I feel like, especially nationally, Miles takes a lot of hits. He's always in trade rumors. He's, you know, does he even want to be there? I, I, I think he's made it clear he wants to be here. And the trade rumors, one, it has nothing of his doing. And two, he really hasn't been in serious trade talks very often. His name has just floated out there for obvious reasons. Pacers have had too many bigs. They still do, honestly, right now. There was a serious offer to the Boston Celtics back in 2020 for Gordon Hayward, which Danny Ainge, uh, I believe, still made a mistake in not doing and essentially lost Hayward for nothing to Charlotte. That's a different conversation. With In terms of Miles' future with the Pacers, I, I honestly, Greg, believe it'll come down more than anything to what number he and the Pacers will be comfortable with with the potential contact renegotiation moving forward. We don't know what that number is. I think it'll certainly be over $20 million. He's making 18 right now. The Pacers did sign DeAndre Ayton to a, a restricted offer sheet, which he signed and then was matched, obviously, by Philly. That was for over $30 million for a starting center, but he's four years younger. Maybe somewhere in between. Uh, I will also say Miles has always been loyal. He didn't necessarily expect to be here at the start of training camp. Uh, that was one thing I – asked him on day one is did you expect to be here and he's like you know what that's a good question basically saying no not really um and so i think what we've seen is him perform way better greg here this season for three reasons probably primarily injuries he's outside of that fluke injury to start the season where he rolled his ankle he's been relatively healthy two he's playing with the best point guard of his career and three he's the He's back in his natural position as a starting five and over the last eight games. In fact, now he's the only big. They're starting Aaron Neesmith rather than Jalen Smith at that four, which uh, opens things up even more, I think, for Miles. All right, so with that, and because you have so many guys on rookie deals for the next two, three, or even Benedict Matherin's case for the next four mm-hmm. years, you can kind of afford to even – oh, you don't want to give away money. But you can give Miles a bit more of a sweetheart deal because you're so young around him, correct? Correct. And the main thing that would be enticing for the Pacers right now is they have some of the most cap space in the league, around right. $25 million roughly. And they're going to have to or want to spend some of that here before the end of the, the fiscal year, meaning the end of June. Uh, they still need to get to the salary floor. So why not, for example, if you do want to re-sign Miles and make it work with both sides, you could front-load that contract, offloading some of that, uh, or really maximizing, I should say, some of that free cap space this year, and then you have a de-escalating contract. It decreases over the next several years if Miles would agree to something like that. That's a deal like Buddy Heald has, where his contract next year, which is his last year, actually gets cheaper. Um, which is enticing, certainly. So that that's one of the intriguing options about bringing back Miles. But you do have to reconsider then the other guys, right? Because right now, Isaiah Jackson's fallen out of the rotation. Goga Bataze, he won't be back presumably next year. He's out of the rotation and will become a free agent. Uh, and then 
You also, uh, you know, have a, a Daniel Tice under contract right now. Perhaps that's a guy you could move. But I think he's really warmed up to the idea of playing with this team. He's been out with injuries. But, uh, you know, a guy like him had to reset his expectations, too, coming from a finals team last year to the Pacers thought to be rebuilding, and now they're a 21-win team. So it's just also complicated, but for a good reason, and that's because of this surprising success. All right, so now this would be an idea that would have been if, – if 21-18 and 18 going into January 6th would have been a foreign concept – the idea of potentially buying, not selling at the trade deadline uh, would also be something that would be a foreign concept. Could you see this team going out, and I'm not saying a star, but just like a, an, an experienced guy off the bench, something where you're not giving up a lot to go and get that player. It's, it's second-round draft picks to be named later. Could this team actually be a buyer in February? Well, yeah, there's two ways in which I think this would be great for the Pacers to operate. One, they could just do the pure salary dump. They could take on some cap space and maybe get a first-round pick or additional money. Uh, we just saw this with Noah Vonley, the former IU, uh, the former IU product, going from Boston to San Antonio. Boston basically paying the Spurs to take on the contract to waive the contract. Uh, that's something the Pacers. Uh, for instance, could do, although I will note right now, they don't have any roster spots to do that. So they would have to, to move a guy or they, they would have to uh, waive a guy. And I will say James Johnson, O'Shea Brissett, their contracts, they'll know whether those become fully guaranteed over the weekend, which I do expect for both. But that would be one flexibility. Um, but to take on a bad contract. And secondly, uh, the more intriguing option here, Greg, would be if there's a team – willing to part ways with a couple of players or a notable player. I mean, a lot of people bring up the name OG Ananobi. I do not know if he's even available, but it's relative because he's an IU guy, sure. because he's a great wing defender, and because the Raptors were just here this week. Uh, if you could say they have three first-round picks this year, what if you parted ways with one of those, a late first-round pick and maybe something else, and were able to get OG Ananobi – filling a position of need, a wing player who, with an emphasis on defense, that would be really intriguing to me. It's just I don't know if he would, he or someone of his like will become available. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Fires. You can catch his work now at 107.5thefan.com. Nice enough to join us again on the Mower Shop guest line. Greg Rakestraw in with you here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So if you're Rick Carlisle, what concerns you about this bunch right now? Oh, I, I think – I think the mental focus down the stretch the other night, I didn't really like how they kind of got away from what got them back into the game. I thought instead of playing more team ball, it kind of got away from that and towards isolation ball um, there. Uh, I think he has to be um, – he has to really like the fact the way Tyrese Halliburton has united these guys and how, how everyone is playing well around them. Um, things that would concern him, though, right now, how about Chris Duarte coming back from injury – after rolling his ankle, he rolled it again a couple games ago uh, and just has not found his groove back since he scored 30 points the day before rolling his ankle. Uh, he's missed his last 15 shots over the last four games. And right now, because of their depth on the wing, I think he's just trying to figure out and feel his way. Where does he fit in with this group? Um, also, I'd still like to find some kind of playing time for Isaiah Jackson. Like Duarte, he was a first-round pick 
the team is very high on him. Is there a way to find him some playing time? It's a good problem to have, certainly. Uh, but again, this team is not a contending roster. Therefore, I think you also have to somewhat have the future in mind. And a lot of that goes down to getting guys these valuable reps playing together and just getting time out on the floor. Tyrese Halliburton going to be an all-star a few weeks from now? I do. I I do think so. Uh, I kind of laugh at the fan voting because more than anything, we all know it's a popular vote. Sure. Many of them absolutely should be in there, the popular names like LeBron and KD. But there will there'll always be another name or two that are like, wait, what? oh, he plays for this. <laughs> right. Whatever. Uh, right. Uh, so even ahead of Tyrese Halliburton right now is Trey Young. That doesn't make sense to me. Also ahead of him uh, is LaMelo Ball. He missed a lot of time with injury. So what it will come down to, and this was fully expected, is the vote of the head coaches. The fans, along with a, a, another part of the vote with media and players, help, help uh, vote in the starters. The coaches determine the reserves and seeing the Pacers' success and seeing how Tyrese Halliburton is the engine behind it, I would be stunned if Tyrese is not a first-time All-Star. The Portland Trail Blazers are a team that Pacers fans think about twice a year. Tonight's one of those nights with the Blazers coming to town. Um, thoughts on, on what we'll see tonight, matchups, expectations, etc.? Yeah, it's always fun when you have one of the top, one of the better players in the league, and Damian Lillard coming through. He's one of those guys that you you might see some magic. You might see a forty point game. So if you're the Pacers, you want to keep keep him down to thirty or below. Even though scoring is way up across the league right now, their second top scorer, Jeremy Grant, he's questionable with a a quad injury. So I'll be curious if he plays. But in terms of the Pacers, mostly a full bill of health. I'm curious just in general how they'll respond to that overtime and loss in Philly, a game they should have won, made some mental mistakes down the stretch, didn't execute. And so with a young team, this is another you know checkpoint I like, Greg, is how does the team respond after, or after something like that hits them a couple games ago? All right, finally, before we let you go, I have you do some little forecasting here because there obviously are now you know two different tiers of the conversation. When it comes to, are you a playoff team? The fact that the Pacers are in the conversation at all, again, is not what we expected going into the year. But they've now been in it long enough where we're going to have those conversations for the remainder of the year. Right now, they are tied with the Knicks for the final non-play-in spot. They're on the 6-7 line, 21-18. Six, you know you're in. Seven, got to win a game or two just to ensure that, that you are truly a playoff team. What will their record need to be, not just to be in the top 10, but to be in the top six by the time we get to the middle of April? I think you're probably shooting for about 47 wins, Greg, maybe 45, uh, right around that line. It's just so darn competitive, right? Right. right? Six games separating number one Boston and where the Pacers are at. Just six games. Usually there's a lot more separation. It makes you wonder, you know, will Boston even finish with 55 55 wins, probably over 50, certainly. But what will be the high end is what I'm wondering. And with 27 wins, Boston's kind of setting that mark. But it's probably going to take that 46, 47 wins. And to their credit right now, the Pacers, at least on track or around that 45 mark, which is what they were doing annually for three, four, five years in a row. But on the other side of it, though, it's interesting because that's kind of what they were trying to get away from. Right. You're winning enough to be notable but not to contend and not to have a good draft pick. So I think in about five weeks from now, we'll have a much better idea of what this team might finish out with, whether the roster's 
tweaked at all and what the end game might be for this specific season. But you're largely doing it with young guys you can build on. And the idea being those players will continue to improve. That's part of why, you know, you can say, hey, you didn't want to be in the 7, 8, 9, 10 conversation. All of a sudden with a different roster, you now are in that conversation. That's not a bad thing at all uh, for this franchise. Scotty, as always, go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say, and, and there is some value to these big game experiences. Right. Uh, the playoff type games, I should say, too, because Rick keeps referencing it. Because keep in mind, Buddy Heald's been in the league, what, 10 years? Hasn't played in a playoff game. Tyrese, year three, hasn't played in a playoff game. Most of this roster, at least the guys that contribute daily, have not. So that's why the games against Philly, uh, their one national TV game and a potential playoff series, even if they're wiped out in round one, that would be the one value point to it. Um, but there's several other layers to it, obviously. Yeah, and again, as, as I look at it, I can literally just go up and down the roster and say, and obviously, Tyrese Halliburton's a franchise cornerstone player. Benedict Matherin is a franchise cornerstone player. Andrew Nemhart is going to be a rotation piece for this group mm-hmm. for some time. Uh, I think Aaron Neesmith is, is going to be one of those guys. Again, I, I think that Malcolm Brogdon trade will likely be known as the Neesmith trade from the Indiana perspective because of what he has done. You know, Buddy Heald is doing exactly what I think Pacers fans and the Pacers brass hoped he would. Sticks is getting there. Is Smith there? You really have at this point. I think five or six guys, maybe even more than that, that you know Mm -hmm. that are rotational pieces going forward. And the fact that you have hit warp speed in terms of a rebuilding program, and now you're talking about adding a piece or two, and knowing you frankly have the salary cap room to do it, Pacers are in good shape, buddy. Pacers are in really good shape. Yeah, I mean, who who imagined Andrew Nemhard playing 15 minutes per game? Nonetheless, now... He started almost 25 games as a rookie guard and done a great job specifically defensively. There's just so many things in this season nobody, I think, could have expected. We knew Nimhard was the standout player in training camp. But what does that mean for a rookie guy? Maybe that means he works his way into the rotation to begin the year, and that's it. Again, thanks, buddy. Appreciate your time and insights. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, very good, Greg. Thank you. Scott Agnes, again, Fieldhouse Files. You can catch his work now at 1075thefan.com and all of our guest lines. Again, all of our guests are brought to us on the Mower Shop guest line, Mower Shop and Fishers, and MowerShop.com. We are open phone lines now for the next couple of segments. Our next wave of guests in the 2 o'clock hour. Basically, I will do all the heavy lifting from 2 o'clock on. But if you've got something that you want to say, now's the time. Phone lines available, 317-239-1070. We've talked high school hoops and pacers. Obviously, we've got IU and Purdue to talk about from last night, and I recapped both of those uh, off the top of the show. Um, We've got Colts to talk about, and Justin called the show, and I was only able to answer about like half of his question. I'll try to redo that again in the next segment of the program. We'll talk more Colts, obviously, with Kevin Bowen coming up at 2 o'clock. But all of those topics are up for you. You can also tweet to me, as several of you have been doing, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter, and I will get into those conversations when we come back. Greg Rakestraw in for the Fan Midday Show. Back after this, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Thanks. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Daddy Garrison on the ones and twos. Thanks to you for listening and interacting. And now is your chance to do that. Phone lines are open 317-239-1070. Tweet to me at Greg Rakestraw. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com if you um, want to be a part of the program. Already on the show, Kyle Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star talking high school hoops. We just had Scott Agnes talking about the Pacers. Pacers and Blazers tonight. 6.30, pregame coverage start time right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Obviously, we've got IU and Purdue to talk about from last night. I spent a good chunk of the opening segment of the show talking about those two. No guest plan, so to speak, to talk about those specific games or those specific teams, but I'm fascinated by this Purdue basketball team. Not just because, again, they are exceeding expectations. Not just because, again, they have so many key pieces that are players I covered um, during their days of playing Indiana High School hoops. But, like I said, Zach Eady and how Purdue uses him, there's nobody like him in college basketball, and there's no team that plays like Purdue does because of him. And again, that leads to some mismatches going in the other direction. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and try to be a coach, but I see enough basketball. I think I can break down X's and O's better than most. And what Ohio State was doing last night is exactly how I'd play Purdue too. Whomever Zach is guarding, that guy's setting the ball screen. Try to get Edie out of space. Try to make somebody else help. Either either beat him to the bucket and score and score or you're kicking out to a shooter from that position. So as much as he has a guaranteed basket on offense, I worry about some mismatches with him on defense. But the work he has done to make himself a better player and the way the pieces fit around him for Purdue is fun to watch, unless maybe you're an Indiana fan. And IU fans, again, you'd be disappointed about losing last night's game. You're disappointed with every loss. I get it. Um, just point with any loss where you get out to a 23-4 or 28-7 start. Um, you're disappointed that Fran McCaffrey finished that game on the sidelines at Iowa, given the fact that he should have gotten his second tee, and I guess briefly did, and then somehow that was reeled back in. Um, but if you're Indiana right now, maybe your biggest concern is health. You know, without a Xavier Johnson. Then you lose Race Thompson early in that game. And while maybe your key pieces and key scores are back, knowing that Trace Jackson Davis had not played in the last couple of games in which you did not need him, but I'd be more concerned with the health of the team than just kind of how you lost that game last night. Losing is never good and certainly wasn't a moral victory far from it. But I chalk that more up to the nature of playing in the Big Ten and Big Ten road games. And that simply that this Indiana team, while better than last year, has not made that huge leap that I think that so many people were hoping for heading into the season. The other thing that I will throw out there is this, because again, we, we touched on it very briefly at the beginning of the program, 
but have not gotten overly in-depth on it today. And there was a oh, 48-hour news cycle where there wasn't much in the way of good news to share. But there is one now, and that is the situation with DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills and his continued improvement in Cincinnati. And that is is that the breathing tube has been removed. He is breathing on his own. And he briefly spoke with teammates this morning, FaceTime, Zoom call, whatever the case may be, as the Bills prepare for the final game of the season, knowing they will be a playoff team. And in case this hasn't crossed your path just yet, there is a scenario where the AFC championship game could be played at Lucas Oil Stadium. That gets your attention? It's not going to be the Indianapolis Colts. Those playoff hopes legitimately waved bye-bye at some point in time in mid to late November. From a mathematical standpoint, uh, they went away not that long ago, just a, a couple of Thursdays ago, actually, when Jacks meet the New York Jets on Thursday night football. That was the official death knell from a playoff standpoint for this Indianapolis Colts season. But yes, because of the no contest that has been officially ruled in the Buffalo-Cincinnati game, there are now a series of scenarios where a neutral site championship game would happen or where even a coin toss could happen. So let me see if, if I can walk you through this. If Buffalo plays Kansas City and basically the teams end up within a half game of each other like Buffalo would be 13 and 3 and the Chiefs would be 14 and 3 or the teams ended up 12 and 4 and 13 and 4 that game would be played at a neutral site and one that again you know will be available one that you know is used to hosting big events, one that you know would be within driving distance for both fans, obviously for Cincinnati, but what, six and a half hours to Kansas City from here? I've seen plenty of Chiefs fans in this building over the years. I saw them in week number three. Could be held here. If um, Buffalo or Cincinnati... If Cincinnati at 12 and 4 and Kansas City finishes at 13 and 4, again, the 1 2 3 seeds have to be within a half game of each other for this to go to a neutral site. If it's a game and a half lead, and regardless of what would have happened in the Bills Bengals game, if that does not factor, then Kansas City's your host for the AFC Championship game. But if the combatants are within a half game of each other, and for that to happen, since he has to win, Kansas City would have to lose then the championship game, again, neutral site, could be held here. Now the site that does uh, the, the scenario that does not involve potentially playing a game in Indianapolis, but involves a coin flip, would be if the Bengals and Ravens, who are playing each other on Sunday, if the Ravens win, basically to get the Bengals within a half game of them, then, and if they would play each other in the 3-6 game, 
a coin flip would determine where that game is. I mean, we are talking Friday night lights. Two teams make the playoffs. A third team is left out. A coin flip. I've actually been involved in one coin flip scenario, not in terms of uh, making a playoff or not, but determining a seeding in a conference tournament. And actually worked out very well for the team that I was covering. So in my days of doing the radio for IUPUI, uh, 2003, the year that we made the NCAA tournament and won the then um, Mid-Continent Conference Tournament in Kansas City. Valparaiso was the one seed. IUPUI and Oakland had the same conference record, had basically beaten the same teams. And it's been 20 years. I've forgotten exactly whom everybody beat. I think both teams were 10-4. and four. They did not have it like in the conference bylaws, like they would go by the RPI or now will be no, now the net ranking. They didn't go by that. They had gotten through several scenarios. It came down to a coin flip as to who was the two, who was the three. There was a big difference in the caliber of team you were playing that was the sixth seed and whom you were playing as the seventh seed. We, IUPUI, won the coin flip. We were the two seed, had a relatively easy game against the seven seed, while the three seed in Oakland got beat by the six seed. We ended up winning the conference tournament. So I've been a, I've been a part of a very fortuitous coin flip uh, in, in years gone by. You think of the old days of the overtime rules, back before you were guaranteed a possession as long as you stopped a touchdown. Now the coin flip can be a big deal in football. We could have a coin flip. So if Baltimore wins at Cincinnati on Sunday, there will be a coin flip to determine if those teams were to play each other in the 3-6 game. Coin flip as to where that game would be played. Would you happen to know off the top of your head the last time a team in the NFL won their division but did not host a playoff game? <laughs> I, the, the, the only scenario I could imagine in that would have been pre-1990 when they were three divisions and five teams made the playoffs and you had the three division winners and you had then a one wild card game the winner of the wild card game would go play the number one seed and the number three seed would then go on the road so for example of all the banners that hang at lucas oil stadium for the indianapolis colts the one banner that is from the 1980s the 1987 AFC East champions, the Colts played at Cleveland Municipal Stadium against the Browns in the 2-3 game. So, Eddie, that scenario would have existed up through the 1989 NFL season. By the time we got to either 89 or 90, I think it was 90, was the year that it went to six teams made the playoffs. That was still three divisions back then. And so, you know, those teams were guaranteed to host Then we get to four divisions, which would be 2002 with the advent of the Houston Texans. And then it became four divisional winners, two wildcard teams. And again, the fourth seed was guaranteed to host as a division winner, which is why we obviously have teams that are sometimes eight and eight or maybe even lesser than that this year uh, hosting teams that have 12 wins or 13 wins and again the obvious scenario involving the indianapolis colts that comes to mind would be 2007 when the 8-8 san diego chargers 
hosted the 12 and 4 Indianapolis Colts. The Colts were 3 and 4 to start the year, lost the tiebreaker with the Tennessee Titans, despite the fact that the Colts beat the Titans in the season finale and then won nine consecutive games. Titans were the not the one seed, they were a guaranteed division winner. Colts were the five went on the road and proceeded to lose at the then eight and eight San Diego Chargers. So yes, off the top of my head, I can. I would assume it has <laughs> I would assume it hasn't happened since nineteen ninety, would be my guess that that is the case. So yes, um mark your calendars. I believe uh January twenty second would be the AFC championship game. And A lot, but not a crazy scenario would have to happen for that to be the case. So for it to be Buffalo and Kansas City, either both teams win this week, Buffalo hosts New England, potential playoff team. Kansas City goes to Las Vegas. So if both teams win or both teams lose, they both got to do the same. That scenario for a neutral site championship game is involved. For Cincinnati to be in that mix in terms of a neutral site championship game, Bengals have to beat the Ravens on Sunday, and both the Bills and the Chiefs would have to lose. Y'all been taking notes on that? All right, good. Now that I have counted every combination of fingers and toes that are on my body, my brain needs a break. We'll go to this break a little early. We'll come back. Your phone calls, your tweets, your emails when we come back. Kevin Bowen at 2. Ted Karras of Marin University at 2.30. Oh, yes, he of the sun that's a starting offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's talk about with Teddy K coming up later in the program as well. It's Greg Rakestraw, and you're listening to 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Many thanks. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Eddie Garrison, he is stuck listening to me tomorrow morning as well because he is the usual producer for Soccer Saturday and then Pacers Weekly on Saturday mornings on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And while I have been yapping with you here, uh, some Indy 11 news for those of you that care. Jack Blake, a veteran midfielder that has played uh, in the Indy 11's league for each of the last six seasons, Many times against the Indy 11, especially 2016, 17, and 18, but not against the team since that time. He'll be playing for the Indy 11 this coming season. He's the latest player announced by the Indy 11, who remarkably will begin their 10th season of soccer coming up on March the 11th. Training camp gets underway for them first full week of February. And Jack will be joining us tomorrow morning on Soccer Saturday on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. That is my normal uh, Saturday morning appearance on this radio station. Obviously, what is my usual Sunday appearances on this radio station will come to an end, uh, at least for this season. I hope the Colts have me back for it'll be year 12 of me being a part of the Colts radio network next year. That will resume in August. The season concludes on Sunday 
And obviously as disappointing of a season as the Colts have had in some time. Um, you know, and again, I've said this in 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 various interviews since I'm now uh, the guys are kind enough to have me on as a guest, whether it's on the morning show on Fridays or JMB on Tuesdays or uh, the midday program when I'm not doing the full three hour tour. Usually I'm the two o'clock guest on a Monday afternoon. You know, I, I can spit facts at you like in 2001 when the Colts were six and ten. Well, they had their quarterback in place, and a big part of the reason why they were 6-10 and 10 that year is because Edger and James got hurt, and the defense needed a complete overhaul. Well, after going 6-10, and 10, the Colts went 10-6 and six and were a playoff team. In 2011, that group that had won 12 games or more seven years running and had made the playoffs every year for nine years straight and had been to two Super Bowls, won one of them, that group was getting long in the tooth. That group obviously didn't have Peyton Manning. And through surprising circumstances, they weren't first. They were certainly worst in 2011. Then you draft Andrew Luck. You hit another draft picks. Again, people, you know, you think about the 2012 draft, think about just Andrew Luck, um, T.Y. Hilton. But guys that made immediate impacts in 2012, Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen, Vic Ballard. And that 2012 team had 11 wins and were a playoff team. 2017, I'm, I'm spitting out seasons that have been like this one, you know, in, in my days of covering the team, which really had been from 2000 on. I, I, I kind of worked around, as part of the Colts radio network behind the scenes in 98 and 99. And again, in 98, 3 and 13, it's Peyton's first year. They're a 13-win team the next year, so I could include... 98 in in that last kind of quarter century of seasons for the Indianapolis Colts. In other words, bad times have not lasted. You know, 2017, they're a four-win team, but you knew Andrew Luck. You hoped Andrew Luck was coming back. It was going to be for one year. That team goes from four wins to ten wins and wins a playoff game. So the immediate history, maybe even not so much immediate in terms of 25 years, history tends to tell you that when the Colts are down – it doesn't last forever. And we had an earlier caller, I think Justin was his name, that said, hey, I, I want to kind of ride this out for one more year. Thinking that th- this roster is not that far away. I, I disagree with Justin's overall point in terms of, of, of kind of riding it out or, or not making major changes. But I do think there is some level of credence to, I'm not sure you're all that far away. And let me try to explain. First of all, from a roster construction standpoint, you know, for a team that's going to win four or five games and have a draft pick um, that would be anywhere between three and six, you kind of basically you know, say that's, that's usually in, in reboot mode. And I think obviously major changes are made, but at the same time, there's probably going to be more familiar faces on this roster than say went from 2011 to 2012, where the single highest paid Colt was a player that didn't play in a game called dead cap space. But most of the guys are under contract for next year. So the guys that are, 
you know, somewhat up for debate or somewhat up for discussion. Yannick Ngakwe is going to be a free agent. And I made this comparison with Kevin Bowen and Jake Query this morning, and maybe Kevin and I will revisit this in the next segment of the show. Was Yannick Ngakwe to have the type of impact that we hoped he would? Probably not. But if you look at his stats, very consistent with how he has played over the course of his career. And similar to me, to a guy like Justin Houston, who was here for two years, did the job he was asked to do, and clearly we, we raved in August about the job that Yannick did in terms of trying to become ingrained in the Indianapolis community. And because he has been such kind of a transient player in the National Football League, I don't think through any fault of his own, just the way that, that circumstances kind of played out for him. You could tell he wanted to put his roots down here. And because of that, I could see him coming back. Again, it's about finding that right cap number and that right amount of money for him. But I could easily see him coming back here. You know, Stephon Gilmore has been good, if not great. Judging by all accounts, he hasn't practiced all week. And I would doubt that we see him on the field on Sunday. You know, he's got a two-year contract. Now, if he wants out, or the team wants out. Um, basically, the Colts be on the hook for all of $2 million worth of cap space, which in the NFL is not anything major at this point. So if he says, you know what, I'm not sure we're going to win here. Um, I'd like to go someplace else. Or I'm not sure I'm going to be a fit here with Gus Bradley or whomever the defensive coordinator may, coordinator may be next year. Stephon Gilmore could be a free agent. But technically, he's under contract next year Bobby O'Karake is a free agent EJ Speed is a free agent but that's it you have the question mark about Shaquille Leonard but he's under contract Zaire Franklin that extension of the offseason an absolute steal given how he has played this past year you know Rodney McLeod I haven't checked his contract status I'm assuming he was signing a one-year deal kind of liking him to Pops Adams probably bring him back other guys other than Kenny Moore are largely on rookie contracts. You know, those players are coming back. So defensively, again, we'll see what happens. But, you know, DeForest Buckner's back. You know, Grover Stewart's back. You know that Zaire Franklin is back. We don't know in terms of the health of Shaquille Leonard, but you know he'll be here next year. Colts defense, regardless of whom the head coach or whom the general manager or whom the defensive coordinator is going to be, largely will look very similar to how it looked this past year. And given how they have played up until the last two or three contests, you feel largely good about that. And I know you're probably saying right now to yourself, hey, dummy, that's not the group I've got question marks about. I understand that. So now let's talk about the offensive line. And I think the offensive line will largely look the same as it did this year. And now I'd like you to go ahead and steer that wheel back towards the road and not off the road as I said that. But I think it's going to look that way because of the contract values that were given out during the offseason. Quentin Nelson being one. Brady, Braden Smith the year before being another. And what Ryan Kelly, you know, what is his future with the team? You know, you invest a third round pick of Bernard Ryman. A lot of times left tackles probably need to be first round investments. But you know, Ryman has had a trial by fire. I do think it's fair to expect him to make a jump 
from year one to year two, and especially because he is still so young to football and so young to that position. Because like a lot of offensive linemen, he was a tight end before he started playing along the offensive line position at Central Michigan. Will Freeze, don't know what right guard's going to look like. Could be him, could be somebody else. Don't know. But again, because of the money you got tied up in your offensive line, I think the offensive line, maybe you move a piece, maybe two at most. But the key pieces will be the same. And so to me, the offensive line is going to be about whom is coaching the offensive line next year. From an offensive scheme philosophy standpoint, what are you doing with that offensive line next year? And so I realize that there's so many big questions to be answered. Is Chris Ballard still the general manager? Is Jeff Saturday the head coach? Is it going to be somebody else? And yes, I will get to the quarterback question coming up in a matter of moments. I'm trying to take this kind of piece by piece. You know, if, if, if you are asked, hey, what went wrong with this football team this season? Man, it doesn't go very far before you say offensive line. But if you ask me, what do I think the areas that will look the most different next year. I'm not sure I'm saying offensive line first. Part of it is the contracts that you have signed. But part of it is also is the, the, the draft capital and what you have seen from these guys in the past. In other words, my best bet is you're, you're investing not just in your offensive line, you're investing in your offensive line coach. Go out and find the best guy you can find to coach this group up and try to get them back to the level at which they played the year before in the run game and years previous in terms of the passing game. That's what I think will change. Wide receiver position, we'll see. I think they'll be largely the same guys you see this year. Maybe you can bring in a free agent to bolster this group. What happens with Paris Campbell? Time will tell. Again, to me, it's somewhat similar to Yannick Ngakwe in terms of finding the right dollar value to bring him back. Running back position is pretty well set. It's going to be Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, and Deion Jackson. They're all under contract for next year. It's going to be those guys. Tight end position, maybe you move off a player. you got to remember they got a guy they really like in Drew Ogletree that popped in training camp before, sadly, his ACL let go before we started playing actual games in the preseason. So that brings us to the $64 million question. Used to be $64,000. Now it's $64 million. What happens at the quarterback position? And again, our earlier caller, basically, again, we were short on time. I didn't have a chance to kind of really kind of get to this, but he kind of said, hey, bring back Jeff Saturday and more or less bring back Sam Ellinger. And I have been critical as to how the quarterback position has been handled over the course of the last few weeks. Big picture, I understand why they made the move to Ellinger before the October 30th game. It was still stunning when it happened, but I understood. I understood when you bring in Jeff Saturday in early November, why he would want to go back to Matt Ryan to give the veteran another opportunity and to potentially give your team the best chance to win to evaluate what you had in Jeff Saturday as a coach. I get that. Where I've been critical of is the fact of, hey, you know what Matt Ryan is and isn't at this point in his career. You know what Nick Foles is and isn't at this point in his career. What you still have a question mark is, is in Sam Ellinger. 
and I'd have been playing Sam the last two or three weeks, it would not have taken um, a vital organ being punished of Nick Foles's in that uh, unblocked hit that he took from Kayvon Thibodeau last week. It would not have taken that for me to get Sam Ellinger in the game. I would have been playing him from after the bye on. Would have been playing him against Minnesota. Would have been playing him against the Chargers. Would have played him last week. And then obviously he's getting the nod this week. Just because, do I do I think Sam is a starting caliber quarterback in the National Football League? I would probably lean towards no. I think he's probably a, a pretty solid backup option in the National Football League. But he is the guy... He's the guy that has the most upside, obviously, of the three that you have. But he's the one guy you don't exactly know exactly what he is. And I wanted to see them get a snapshot of what he had going into the offseason. You'll get that to a lesser degree on Sunday. But you'll do it against the worst team in the National Football League. And so, you know, I was at Colts practice on Wednesday. And, you know, it's a kind of media scrum where you get a handful of questions in at everybody. If I'd have had the opportunity, I would love to have kind of pulled Sam off to the side and say, hey, listen, what's your offseason routine going to be? You know, you worked on arm strength and shoulder strength and your delivery with Tom House in the offseason. How soon are you going back to doing that? Because I saw the leaps he made from year one to year two in the preseason. Now I want to see where he makes that next step from year two to year three. So he's while I wanted to see him in December and January, do I think Sam Ellinger is a starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts next year? No, I do not. I think the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts next year is whomever you're going to take with that pick. Somewhere between three and six coming up at the end of April. But again, that's my thoughts. And I, I'm, I, I think I'm Niles on the subject. But am I an insider? In other words, am I getting tidbits from people inside the organization? No. That's my opinion on the subject. You feel free to share that with me on social or via email because we've got guests coming up the next two segments of the show. At Greg Rakestraw on Twitter or Greg at 1070thefan.com. I'll do the heavy lifting of the next couple of segments. Kevin Bowen, of course, you hear him three hours a day every weekday from 7 until 10. He and Jay Query on the morning show. You read his work at 1075thefan.com. He was at Colts practice this afternoon. He may still be on 56th Street as we speak. He'll join us next, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Three hours of... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Of yapping on the radio. Got three and a half more hours of uh, talking this evening, but I got pizza with me. I don't have to say all that much. Doubleheader of girls and boys basketball in the ISC Sports Network. North Central hosting Ben Davis in both girls and boys. That boys game is on My Indie TV 23. I don't have to do much talking in this segment either because uh, Kevin Bowen will be providing the insights and analysis here, courtesy of the Mower Shop in Fishers on our guest line. I guess all things fair, I was on your show this morning. You can be on mine this afternoon. 
How about that? I had no idea this morning, Rake, that I'd be returning the favor a little bit later. So happy to hear your voice again. Well, you're welcome. And, and you missed it last week. What I, I, I tend to keep things, you know, close to the vest, not in terms of my opinions, but like factoids about me. So like last Friday, I was on the show and it was my birthday and the guys didn't realize it. I didn't say a word about it. Same thing this morning. I knew I was going to be hosting the afternoon show and neglected to say anything about it to you. So with that being said, how was Colts practice today? Uh, it was <laughs> it was a bit odd, you know, just to, from the standpoint of, like, there's the finality that I feel kind of every year with a rake, and you're just out there and you're thinking, wow, there's so many of these guys that will not be back at all. Um, you know, you're looking at Matt Ryan and you're thinking, is this his last ever NFL practice? Right. Um, I, I, I look at Ben Banigou and I think for a second, wow, that dude really played out his entire rookie contract here in Indianapolis. Um, you think of free agents, you know, Paris Campbell came out for practice and he almost kind of wanted to give him a little bit of a standing ovation for everything that he's been through in his career and looks like he's going to play in every single game this year. So I don't know. I found myself just kind of like having those thoughts and feelings. And of course you, you look out there at Jeff Saturday and think, um, is this it for him? So, uh, and we saw Chris Ballard. We, 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 you don't see Chris Ballard at practice, um, during the media availability, at least uh, he was out there today. I think actually, uh, some of your high school coaches, were out there, some of the state final coaches um, from this past November. So they were uh, watching Colts practice with Chris Bauer today. So with that, um, again, this is kind of more more for us, but normally, uh, especially when you know when the season's going to be over, there is a Monday kind of the video is showing guys cleaning out their lockers and there's kind of a post-mortem, you know, with the head coach. But since this is an interim head coach wrapping up the season, the first time we've had that, well, since well before you and I were on the beat, uh, you know, back in 1991, what exactly is Monday going to look like on 56th Street? So, yeah, it'll be locker room clean-out day, so we'll talk to, you know, a variety of players for the final time. Um, and then Jeff Saturday um, is scheduled to meet the media, um, and it'll be the last time we hear from Saturday on that interim basis. And, of course, the Colts have already stated um, that they will be conducting, uh, and they have to, but they will be conducting a full head coaching search after that. Um, the biggest question you have is just when do we hear from Chris Ballard, I guess. Um, and, and maybe when do we hear from Jim Irsay? You know, I'm not expecting to hear from Irsay necessarily, but will we get anything more than a thank you Colts fans tweet, you know, after the game? Um, you know, Ballard, and this goes for every GM around the league, um, I believe it's a two-week period once the season ends. Um, the GM has to meet the media. Typically for Ballard, he usually meets uh, – Thursday, this coming Thursday, so six days from now, is when he has typically had his end-of-season presser. Um, Now, I I think it's worth mentioning, um, I think back to after the 2015 season, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan Grigson met the media in his normal end-of-season presser, uh, and then he was fired about three weeks later. So, you know, I I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk like we hear from Ballard at 110% means he's coming back with Jim Mercer. I think you truly never know. But that's a little bit of the lay of the land for next week. We'll hear from Saturday on Monday. We'll hear from players. That's it for them. Ballard may be mid to late next week. We'll see. Um, but outside of that, I think we're kind of at the mercy of a Jim Mercer announcement because Ballard is under contract for four more years. So, I mean, you don't need to announce anything. It's not like he's up and, and you need to say, oh, yeah, we're signing into a new contract, you know, from a technical standpoint. And, you know, nothing needs to be said publicly on that front. From a free agent perspective – 
and, and, and I guess not even pursuing other teams' free agents, but the ones who are out of contract here, like some of the guys I just mentioned in the last segment of the show, and you know exactly who those guys are that I'm talking about. How does that process look different if it's not Chris Ballard? I mean, we, we can talk about, hey, we think this guy's back, we think this guy isn't. Isn't all of that going to come down to whom the GM is going to be and then whom the head coach is going to be and then whom the coordinators are going to be? So in other words, any sort of speculative conversation as to, hey, I think this guy's back or that guy's gone, we kind of need to hold off on that, right? Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, there's a domino effect, a trickle-down effect that's going to impact every play on this roster. Um, if Chris Ballard is gone, I don't think there's a single safe person on the roster. I mean, sure, there are guys that are safer than most, but you know, if you're a new GM and you walk in here and you say, oh, wow, you know, you guys are paying a guard that much money? Um, wow, DeForest Buckner makes that? Um, you know, Jonathan Taylor's do this contract extension. You know, there's there's just natural skepticism, difference of philosophies, all of those things. Maybe if you had, you hired from within, you know, maybe it would be a little bit of a different story. But particularly if you go outside of your building, um, there's going to be a highly scrutinized roster, uh, particularly from a contractual standpoint, and saying that guy does not meet the value that I want for how I view the roster building process, particularly because I think Ballard does it in a really different way from a lot of GMs around the league. And then I think you make a great point, Rake, of the head coach coordinator aspect to it. Like, Yannick Ngakwe is a free agent. If Gus Bradley's still the defensive coordinator, who has had Yannick Ngakwe with him in three different stops now, you would think that's good news for Ngakwe right. coming back. But if he's not, Ngakwe's 230-some pounds soaking wet, doesn't really play on rundowns, He's not going to be as attractive, I think, to some other defensive systems. I don't think he would have been attractive to Matt Eberflus's defensive system, for for example. So I think it's a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, you and I had this discussion a little bit earlier. As much as I think Bobby O'Karake has had a really nice season, I just don't think financially he fits into your puzzle. Um, you, you're already paying Shaquille Leonard a whole lot, and, and it's not like anyone's going to take that contract necessarily off your hands considering his health situation. Zaire Franklin is, you know, exceeding the contract that he signed back in January. The linebacker that I would probably bring back would be EJ Speed. Um, I think Speed has shown enough in kind of limited opportunities that he deserves, you know, potentially to have a starting opportunity. Now, again, we'll see what the system looks like and all of that. Uh, but that is a huge storyline. And that's why I, I wouldn't consider, I mean, sure, you have guys that are on rookie deals that certainly will be here, but. If, if and when you do bring in a new general manager, no one, no one is safe. Again, Kevin Bowen on the MowerShop.com hotline. Greg Rakestraw with you at the Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, one guy that the decision might be his, could be Chris Ballard's, whomever, uh, that we didn't bring up, is Stephon Gilmore. He's under contract for next year. Now, it, it's, a, it's a contract that is easily escapable. Um, so, so I guess even before we talk about before what what the future looks like for him, what would you describe this year for Stephon Gilmore? Did the Colts get their money's worth out of the guy wearing number five? Easily, okay. easily. Um, you know, Frank, if you and I would have had this conversation in July, I would have probably brought up some skepticism with Gilmore's health, his availability. Um, you know, thirty-two year old corners. I don't know if we really realize it. That is pretty ancient in the NFL. There are not many 32-year-old corners 
let alone let alone those playing on the outside. And, and that's Gilmore, and he's a guy that did not play a lot last season. Was on a pitch count for long stretches uh, when he was with Carolina late last year. Um, again, we're talking lower body injuries, which you know can affect obviously speed a whole lot. Uh, so I felt like there was a good chance that Gilmore might be on a consistent pitch count here. Um, he's so far 16 games into it. That guy has played every single snap in 15 of those 16 games. He missed 10 snaps against Kansas City in week three, and that was it. So just from an availability standpoint, thoroughly impressed by what he gave you. And then look at what he did in kind of the Mariano Rivera role, if you will, and closing out the Kansas City game, closing out the Denver game, closing out the Raiders game. You know, I mean, those are three or four wins right there. So, uh, yeah, easily to me, he gave you – you know, great return. And, again, kudos to Chris Ballard because I was curious how cornerback would would evolve over the course of the offseason. You know, with Xavier Rhodes no longer here and then the Rocky Seen trade, that that opened up some, some questions at cornerback. And, and I think Gilmore has been, you know, one of the top whatever, four or five best Colts this season. Now – do you think Stefan wants to come back here next year? And he's not the he's a he's a friendly person. He's not the he's not not you know doesn't speak a lot with the media. Does is the most expansive talker uh, in terms of uh, those conversations. Do you think he wants to come back here, or do you think he'd prefer to go someplace else? Where in theory he's got a better chance of winning another ring. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see why he would want to come back. It's not like he has immense ties to people in the locker room, the organization, and or Gus Bradley. Um, you know, honestly, if I were him, I, I probably would have been a little bit more, and this shows you the type of pe- person I am than who he is probably, I probably would have been a little bit more vocal around the trade deadline and say, whoa, we're benching Matt Ryan, we're right. firing Marcus Brady, we're firing Frank Reich. Um, <laughs> you want to move me for for a draft pick and get me on a contending team to close out the season? Uh, so I, I would think – you know, and I would think he'd be attractive to kind of a win now team and saying, All right, Colts, we will take that contract, which as you alluded to, Ray, doesn't have a whole lot on it for one more year. We will take that off your plate. We'll give you some sort of mid ish round pick and we'll bring him here and, you know, he can maybe be kinda of our chase the ring type of guy. He obviously already has one with New England, but still, um, I, I could very well see that play out like that because again again that that is the again we're, we're trying to put i'm not trying to put words in his mouth but just trying to read the tea leaves thinking that is potentially the player's wishes but let's point this out it's not like that contract is huge from a cap space standpoint and it's also not like we think the colts are going to break the bank in terms of free agency um, you know, for, for the upcoming offseason. It's not exactly a bad contract they're trying to get out of. It's just, hey, does the player really want to be here again? Because we're not exactly sure what this team is going to look like. And we're also trying to project things where if it's Chris Ballard as the general manager or it's not Chris Ballard as the general manager, having no idea whom the head coach of this team is going to be at this point next year. But regardless of what those two spots look like, the Colts are drafting a quarterback in one of those first-round picks between spots three and six, correct? Well, yeah, maybe even trade up uh, higher than that. Uh, you, you would hope that would be the case. I, I, I think it'll be the case. Um, I, I guess you never truly know. Um, but, yeah, I, obviously that'll be the dominant storyline here over the next couple of months. We'll find out 
Sunday exactly where they're going to be slotted. And then again, um, I'm very interested to see how the number one pick turns out. I mean, right now it's Houston. Chicago's number two. Chicago's playing, you know, Nathan Peterman against the Vikings. Uh, Houston's playing Davis Mills against the Colts. You'd give Houston the far better chance to win that game than you would the Bears. And if that happens, Houston wins and Chicago loses. They have the number one pick. And Chicago's going to sit there for the next three months and say, all right, who wants it? Who wants to have the quarterback choice? Because uh, I think that's now the question. I, I don't know if we're, you know, again, we'll see how the next few months play out. Um, but it, it seems like it could be a, do you like Bryce Young or do you like C.J. Stroud? Right. Who do you like better? And that will be the number one pick. And then whoever can slot into that second quarterback selection spot, you'll get the other guy. And then we'll see if Will Levis can make any noise for himself to move into that mix as well. Um, so that is a storyline to certainly keep an eye on. Obviously, the Colts have their own draft position to worry about coming up on Sunday. But Houston and then Chicago, you know, they have a whole lot at stake as well. Chicago, of course, doesn't need a QB. Um, I do think it's really beneficial that they are sitting there sure. as a potential trade candidate. Because I, I, I want to stress, Matt Eberflus was not a Frank Reich hire from Philadelphia. Matt Eberflus was a Chris Ballard hire to pair with Josh McDaniels. Ballard really likes Eberflus, has liked him before, all of those things. And so when you think about the connection with the Bears organization, um, yes, Matt Eberflus is not their general manager, but Chris Ballard has some of that um, based off of that connection with Eberflus. So, you know, when you mention the name Stephon Gilmore, honestly, the, the, the cornerback name that I think of that has a very friendly contract, and we know there are some contract issues with Indy this year, but Kenny Moore has a very tradable contract. And we know what Matt Eberflus has thought about Kenny Moore. So I think that is something to keep in mind when you get around the late April. Can you throw any players in there, in particular any defensive players in there, that might be enticing to, to Matt Eberflus? I'm not saying that the fifth pick in Kenny Moore would get you to the second pick. You'd probably have to throw in a nice draft pick along with that. But I do think that is something – that should be on some people's radar. So when do you go scout mode? When are you starting to digest tapes of, if not Bryce Young, uh, Will Levis, and C.J. Stroud? Yeah, I mean, you got to start it pretty soon. Um, I'll give Bryce Young some credit, Rake, and I don't know. Part of me is kind of a shame that like we have to give guys credit for this, but welcome to college football in the year 2022, and Purdue fans certainly saw it. But Bryce Young played in a yep. bowl game. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he did He did not need to do that. That was not a playoff bowl game. Will Levis did not play in his bowl game. And Bryce Young played really well. Um, you know, what I was saying a little bit earlier in the week was D.J. Stroud in the college football semifinal, he was able to answer the biggest questions about him. Bryce Young is just not able to answer the biggest question about him because it's his height. Right. Um so C.J. Stroud, it's not, you know, some sort of physical makeup characteristic. It's more of a, hey, could you create, could you make some plays with your legs when a lot more is thrown on your plate, you're in a huge environment, you're playing against an SEC defense, one of the best in college football, if not the best, how do you react? And C.J. Stroud, of course, answered that with, with absolutely flying colors. I really like Bryce Young. I think he's very dynamic. The height does not worry me, as, as maybe some others. Uh, but at the same time, C.J. Stroud, 
boy, that was really, really impressive what he did on Saturday night. So I think if you're a Colts fan, you'd be pretty happy with either. Again, knowing the Colts are picking somewhere between three and six, barring a trade, knowing there are, again, this will change over the course of the next three months, I am sure, but knowing there are generally three top quarterbacks to be considered and not all the teams in front of the Colts need a quarterback, as you well put, the Bears are clearly the team most likely to shop a pick because they know they seem to have the quarterback position answered. It's everything else that the Bears have to worry about at this point. If I said a percentage chance the Colts take a quarterback with their first round pick, what percentage would you give that as of January the 6th? Boy, I... 70 and and if I were running the operation or wanting the Colts to go in a different or to go in a particular direction it would be 99.9 right I, I just enough is enough um you know it, I've been clamoring for it for, for years in that you know when you go the bandage route when you go the stopgap route what you do is you you create a ceiling on how much long-term growth you can have um and it's a very short-term approach honestly the Rams are feeling some of this right now. Now, the Rams obviously got their Super Bowl, but it's almost kind of Super Bowl or bust when you go the route that the Rams went or the Bucks went, and, of course, both of them were, were, were able to win those Super Bowls. But the Colts, I mean, that that's – when you are starting a 37-year-old quarterback and you know that guy's not going to be here for longer than a couple of years, you are all in um, to a degree on what you think your expectations should be in the short term, and that's why – said several times throughout the off or throughout this season when you're bad in the nfl you better be young at quarterback right the colts are bad and they're old at quarterback and that's an awful recipe for a season the chicago bears fan base they can live with this year because they hope that the justin field season is you know maybe like i don't know 98 was for peyton manning and the colts when it was an awful season from a record standpoint peyton threw the most picks of any rookie quarterback in the league but it's certainly worth it when you look at what happened in 99 and then obviously how that next decade um, unfolded from there. So as much as I think Jim Irsay mandating things has gotten this organization in a pretty sticky situation, he better mandate the drafting of the quarterback because it, it, until you do that, I just think you stunt the growth of your franchise. And I don't know how the playoffs are going to play out in the AFC rake, but if you look at these teams right now, I mean, look at all the AFC playoff teams. They're virtually all drafted quarterbacks in the first round. They're virtually all drafted by the teams that they currently play for, and they're all pretty much high picks. And one thing that I do want to mention, because I often hear this, you know, Chris Ballard has not had the opportunity to draft his quarterback. I think it's a kind of a lazy excuse, and it's giving Ballard a bit of an out. If you look at the three teams that have probably been the most consistent in the AFC over the last handful of years, in some order, you'd put Kansas City, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Kansas City traded up, I think it was 27 spots to get Patrick Mahomes. Buffalo traded up on two separate occasions to get into the top 10, and therefore they drafted Josh Allen. And Baltimore, they traded up, I think it was 20 spots to draft Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round. So expecting the quarterback to fall into your lap or saying just because you have the 20th pick, you can't draft the quarterback. Again, I think it's kind of a lazy excuse. Uh, you've got to go get that guy. And that's why, you know, when you mentioned to me earlier, you know, three, four, five, six. Yeah. That's a nice spot to be in. But if you love a guy and you don't think he's getting out of one or two, 
we won't complain in five or ten years that you gave up an extra first-round pick if that guy's the right guy. So after Monday, now what? I'm not talking about the Colts. I'm talking about for you. You have a daily radio show. I know this from <laughs> 7 to 10, but you, you know you, you kind of still have that Colts beat rider DNA. We're waiting for stuff to happen potentially on Monday. After that, you get like you know, like like 21 hours you know of your life back each day. How are you handling this? Yeah, that is a great question. As you know, we, we have a young son right now, Max. He's about four months old. So um, it'll be definitely a good amount of daycare duty. Uh, in the afternoon, picking up Max and Rosie on that front. Uh, But from a daily routine standpoint, it changes a whole lot. Um, I am welcome with that. Still producing daily content for our website, 107.5 The Fan. I'll probably venture over to the Pacers a little bit as well. I mean, during the football season, it's definitely not something that I do a whole lot. So I have to check them out. And as you know, Rake, the news cycle uh, doesn't take many off moments in the NFL, particularly in the month of January, particularly when it's a head coaching search and maybe even a GM search. Uh, so, yeah, there will be quieter moments, but probably not as many as maybe I would think or like. All right. Um, it, it is so secondary at this point. You and I are 21 minutes into a conversation, and I, and I now finally ask you, what are we going to see Sunday afternoon? Um, so, and feel for, for, you know to be expansive on that because again, it's two thirteen and one versus four eleven and one. Two teams know they are picking in the top six, and one of them, whom the worst case scenario is they're picking second in the upcoming NFL draft. What are your expectations for Sunday? You know, it, it, if I can for a second, I go a little sentimental. Um, a couple things I'd like to see, and maybe this is league wide, but. I'd love to see before the game starts the Jumbotron show both teams' medical staff um, <laughs> to start Sunday's game. And, and I think just kind of in honor of what sure. um, the Bills assistant athletic trainer was able to, to perform on DeMar Hamlin, I think that would be a pretty cool moment. I'd love to see Rodney Thomas, his high school teammate, maybe wear jersey number three, maybe be the last Colt player announced before the game starts. Maybe he records an interception, something like that. Um, you know, kind of non-Hamlin division. I mean, what an opportunity for Sam Ellinger. You know, I, could Sam Ellinger be the backup next year? Um, you know, I, I feel like that's a question that's worth asking. Um, it's an opportunity for him. You know, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles probably don't want to be here contractually. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense either for them to be here. So, you know, it's a great opportunity for Ellinger. Obviously, you have some milestone-type stuff. Zaire Franklin going for the franchise record and tackles. I think he's really close to breaking that. Uh, Michael Pittman, can he get to 1,000 yards? Um, but outside of that, I mean, I, I, I fully acknowledge what people care about the most, and that is they want to see a loss. They want to see this team um, with a loss. They guarantee a top-five pick, so they want to make sure that they are in that top five. And to be honest with you, Rake, with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'll probably start heading down <laughs> in case Jim Mercy uh, has a willingness to uh, – have a little bit of a chat after the game so we'll see uh, how all of that unfolds as always thanks for the time my friend i'll see you on sunday rank enjoy ben davis and see you tonight have a great weekend i will see you sunday thanks buddy kevin bowen of course of 93.5 and 107.5 the fan and 107.5 the fan.com his appearance on the mower shop in fisher's hotline the mower shop.com for all your snow blowers commercial and residential mowers plus service and power tools We'll take this quick time out. When we come back, a good friend of mine, well, dating back for the last 15 years and now back on the sidelines. So rarely do you get to go back to a job you previously had, especially as a coach. 
That is the case for Ted. And then obviously, there is now a potential that he gets to watch his son play an AFC championship game in this building. And if you weren't with us in the last hour, that might need some explanation. So I'll try to do that too. Greg Reichstraw, you're listening to The Fan at Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. One of my favorite songs. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Think of my buddy Craig Moore inventing a dance called the Sprinkler for this song. I think of the way that Michael Grady hated this song. And the man that started the pop quiz... Basically, when my days of having an office that was like a studio and a couple of doors down, on the rarest of occasions, when a listener would go five for five, the former producer of that program and David Deering knew to play that song because I would run down the hall and do the running man right next to Grady's spot. Didn't happen very often. It was a special day in the fan offices when that was the case. Ted Kara slated to join us coming up in just a matter of moments. My name is Greg Rakestraw. Eddie Garrison, again, is our producer. And this is the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan JMV, of course, comes your way here at the uh, top of the hour some 30 minutes from now. Again, you can catch me tomorrow morning on Soccer Saturday uh, from uh, 9 to 10, as that is my usual slot on this radio station. Then I'll be back on Sunday afternoon, although I'm not sure that my portion will actually be on 93.5 and 107.5, and if it is, it won't be there for long. Final Pacers slash Colts conflict of the season since this is the end of the line for the Colts. So if you're tuning in on Sunday afternoon, you'll be able to hear all of the game on 93.5 and 107.5, as well as Country 97.1 Hank FM. When it comes to your post-game coverage, you probably need to go over to Country 97.1 Hank FM because Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, etc. will have Pacers Hornets here. That begins at 4.30. So again, that comes your way Sunday. Post game on Hank. Pacers game right here with, of course, Eddie White and Pacers overtime following um, that game. Pacers tonight against the Trailblazers. I really thought about wearing, you know, I, I have like one piece of attire that is dedicated to another sportscaster it was kind of a purchase on a whim it was a pandemic inspired purchase somehow in flipping through facebook pages twitter etc i came across this um, manufacturer outlet entity called simply seattle and they have a kevin Calabro sweatshirt from his days of being the voice, the radio voice of the Seattle Supersonics. And um, I purchased said sweatshirt. And every time I know I'm going to run into Dave Calabro at Colts practice, not like every week, it'd be weird if I wore it every Wednesday, but occasionally just to get a kick out of Dave, I'll wear the sweatshirt. So like Dave on social a few weeks ago, 
took a nice picture of me wearing the shirt. I thought about wearing that today, knowing that these days Kevin, a former uh, 1070 employee, by the way, very early in his career, um, I thought about rocking the sweatshirt today, knowing he would be here for the Blazers, knowing he is in town doing television tonight. But instead, Eddie, and those of you watching online, you get stuck with the uh, nice L.L. Bean sweatshirt that I got as a gift. So what's going on? I gave you the wrong number. Or you transposed the number incorrectly. Again, live radio. This type of stuff happens. Without giving the man's telephone number away, that last one is an eight. There you go. This is almost like a game of charades. How can I pass the number along to Eddie without just randomly giving somebody's cell phone number, knowing there are thousands of people listening as we speak? It's literally a different type of a game of telephone. And Teddy might be listening to the, to the radio right now saying, why isn't he calling me? Why are you wasting my valuable airtime you're giving me on this frequency? Well, it's because Eddie wrote the number down wrong. Or I gave it to him incorrectly. It is all, it, certainly that is the case. Our final guest on the uh, more Shop in Fishers guest line, and I haven't said this in like 10 years, the football coach at Marion University. It's Ted Karras that joins us now. How are you, my friend? I'm doing better than good, Greg. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine, and and my, I thought about this. No one's gonna, I planned this conversation out about a week or so ago. It, did it require hell to officially freeze over for you to once again be the head football coach at Marion? <laughs> no, no, the, the spot, the opportunity just came open and things kind of worked out and really happy and blessed to be back. For those that don't know, after Ted won the national championship in Marion in 2012, took a job at Walsh University, Canton, Ohio, Division Two, and after four years there, then has been out of coaching, done a variety of things. But this year, you had become an assistant coach at Marion's longest rival in St. Francis in Fort Wayne. So as you were coaching on the sidelines against the Knights in October, did you think this was a possibility? I wasn't thinking about that at the time at all, no. And I'm you know, grateful to Coach Sherman and uh, for thinking about me to get me up there and obviously Coach Donnelly to getting back into it. Because, yeah, I was doing some recruiting for uh, next college student-athlete and, um, you know, really taking in the pro pro game, you know, sure. I, I think that yeah, that timeout was really valuable to observe and go, you know, and I call it the New England Patriot tour, you know, and, and see some how Bill Belichick operates. And I get to see how Zach Taylor and just take it from a different view. And uh, yeah, so no, to answer your question, nope, I did, wasn't thinking about that time, but I'm certainly happy to be back on the West Side now. There, there are a couple different ways of, of kind of, you know, change and look at the paradigm. So let, let me start with you first. How do you feel you're a different coach than when you were here 10 years ago? Um, I don't know. I'm going to be terribly different, but I, I think, though, yeah, there's, I've learned some different maybe methods of how to handle situations, especially from a, a guy like Zach Taylor, I'd say. Um, but I'm still going to be the same player-centric coach that, that I was before. I'm always going to have my open-door policy to my players' open-cell policy. I'm a positive motivator, and we're going to be you know, disciplinarians with some compassion. But, um, yeah, we'll see. The only time will tell on that, Greg. How is the program different from when you left it 10 years ago, knowing they've got a, a second red banner, as they're known in the NAI parlance? And obviously – They've been awfully good, you know, three straight runs, at least to the quarterfinals of the NAI round. 
How is that a different place that you're stepping back foot on campus than it was when you left in early 2013? Well, yeah, well, I left We left the national, as a national champion, so no, the, the teams have been good, you know, but the ultimate goal here is to get the red banner, and it's a high standard, a standard we set, you know, back in 12. So that's a different kind of challenge, but, you know, I, I was just thinking about that. You know, it's a lot nicer to have that than to have no players, no stadium, no right. locker room, no coaches. So, <laughs> you know, I'm really – and I'm really looking forward to getting to meet, uh, the, you know, the team, the current team. Um, I met some of the players already, came out to the press conference and through my last week here, but um, really excited to get to know them and coach them up and be a mentor as well as a coach. I know that any of the guys that you coach either before, you know, at Rose Holman, Andrean, Mary, and even Walsh, et cetera, are happy that you have this job and are back to being a head coach. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it as well. One of the ultimate places where you're going to get buy-in is from head coaches in this state, from a high school standpoint. And obviously, you have known a lot of those guys for a long time. What's the feedback you've gotten from that group about once again being in charge of the Marion program? Great feedback. You know, everywhere from Gary Westside down to Evansville, you know, and uh, you know, high school coaches are lifeblood of recruiting. Um, and I'm excited to be back. And even when I was, you know, doing some recruiting for St. Francis, you know, just the over the years, Greg, of all, you know, where I've been, I, I felt I knew someone at every high school I was at. People still there, and it's uh, it's been nice and, and really um, humbling, and, and, and it's very been a nice reception. Really appreciate it. All right, so you touched on it yourself. Uh, while you were gaining some intel and observing coaches, most importantly, you were being a dad. Um, you know, you and I talked to me either, either last year or the year before about you doing some broadcast work with me at ISC. But it was like, hey, First things first, I'm going to watch my son play in the National Football League, which is something so few dads slash coaches have the luxury to do. So simply put, how many years is this now for Teddy in the National Football League? He's on his seventh year. He uh, yeah, four with the Patriots, one with the Dolphins, one back with the Patriots, and now we're in year seven with the Cincinnati Bengals. Just where are you going to describe what that is like to say that your kid, as a guy that, that, that got to play in the NFL so briefly – What's it like yeah. to see him now play in year number seven? Uh, just really proud of him, man. He's worked hard for it, too, you know. Came in as a six-round draft pick for the Patriots. He actually started his first game with the Patriots due to an injury, but, you know, he wasn't an all-time starter. But he worked his way up, man, kept learning. You know, Dante Skarnecchia, the legendary offensive line coach for the Patriots, was big in his development, um, I think, and he thinks so, too. And just, just really proud of him, where he carries himself. You know, he's elected captain, you know, the Bengals, you know, only being there a short period of time. And it's just been a blast to be able to go to different stadiums and, and you know, watch him play. And certainly now he's in two hours away from Indy, man, so you can't beat that. <laughs> I'd say your frequent flyer miles have gone downhill this year, but but the ability to get back and forth uh, much quicker has been. Uh, were you there on Monday night, I assume? I was, Greg, yeah. And um, it was horrifying and shocking and um, – you know, I'm just so happy that, uh, you know, that DeMar is speaking and back and looks like he's going to be, you know, okay from what we're hearing. And that's big kudos to the medical staff that were there that day. And, you know, just talking to my son over the last few days, you know, his voice today compared to other, you know, earlier in the week is different. I Good. just watched his interview he did. Yeah, he said his spirit has been restored. I mean, everyone's has. I mean, that was just tragic, horrible. I pray all the time for the health, safety, protection of the players. And uh, it, it was it was surreal and unreal, and um, 
just so happy that uh, DeMar is doing so much better. Well, it, 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 again, it was circumstance in terms of your son being so close to that play, but it was not lost on me that the first person that I saw take a knee as that play basically just finished was your son, who was about five yards away uh, you know, for, for, from from as that play happened. And I realize that, that this is, I'm not asking you to bring up a, a great memory here, I understand that, but but is is there there's nothing like that that so many of us have seen. I mean, I, I can quote the player from the Lions that, that died of heart failure in 1971, but in terms of your days as a player or a coach, anything come close to that in terms of an injury scare or a health scare during a game, during a practice, et cetera? No. No, it was unprecedented for a lot of people, me included. And yet, yeah, Ted was right there, and he did. And we have, you know, we've always had great respect for anyone that has, a, you know, the courage to put on a football helmet, you know. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're modern-day gladiators, man. It is a, you know, violent, tough sport. And, but, you know, we, you know, commend anyone that has, a, like I said, the courage to put on a helmet. And when he saw that and took a knee and was just praying for him immediately, all right, how are uh, it's it's, a, it's not an easy transition to make, but on on the kind of happier tones, how are hat sure. sales coming along for the Cincy hat? The Cincy hat sales have been going going good. What really uh, spurred it on early though was the uh, coming off the field after uh, <laughs> the Tennessee game. So sales really spiked at that point. But no, they've done an awesome job ra- raising money for the village of Marici. I think they raised over you know three hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Um, yeah, and people, you know, loving the hats. And it was just a organic thing that happened. You know, he just wanted to give a, something to his new teammates in Cincy, and everyone started asking about it. And then, you know, it just took off from there, and it's really benefited, uh, you know, a great organization at the Village of Marizzi. So for, for those that don't know, um, the Village of Marizzi often help helps those that are are disabled or adults with, with with challenges, and so that it's a program to give back and to get them more included in the community. Um, and and Teddy uh, basically devised this Cincy hat. There's three or four different styles. My wife, who happens to be a proud Cincinnati native, even though I've, I've forced her to live in Indianapolis with me over the course of the last three decades, this sudden resurgence of the Bengals has suddenly had a resurgence in her Cincinnati pride. So one of the Christmas gifts that she got was the Cincy hat, as you have the photographic evidence of that, and she has been yeah. digging. I'm sure she'll be breaking it out uh, coming up for upcoming playoff games. So I assume you've gotten wind of this, that there is actually a chance that the AFC Championship game is played here in Indianapolis? I, no, I haven't I haven't got any wind of it. I actually had to, my son called me with some news. Is this what you're talking about? So here, so here is, here's the scenario. Um, Indianapolis is up for consideration – for a neutral site AFC championship game. Basically, wow. if it is a combination of the Bengals, uh, if if they win, in other words, if they're a half game behind either the Bills or the Chiefs, the AFC championship game will be played at a neutral site. In other words, if wow. like the game that didn't get played on Monday would have affected the tiebreaker, if those teams could have been on level footing, that could have been a uh that could there'll be a neutral site game and indy is a leading candidate in other words if if it's bills chiefs or if it's bills bengals or chiefs and the two teams are a half game apart 
then that, go, that game will go to a neutral site and it could easily be here. So that may be the news that Teddy was calling you about. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. It cut him off. I said, I'll call him back later. But I think that was, that's what it was. Wow. Well, if, if my phone call was the reason you cut him off, Call your son back, uh, and, and, and let's go catch up with family. Buddy, it is it is good to catch up with you here. I want to make sure he gave you a little time, knowing I was going to be in this chair today. Looking forward to seeing you in person very soon, and welcome back to Indianapolis full-time. Thank you, Greg, for having me on. So great to be back at Marion University, and looking forward to seeing you, man. You got it, buddy. Ted Karras, again, he is once again back as the head football coach at Marion, and yes, he is busy on the recruiting trail but he's also busy being a dad, and the Bengals will be in action uh, with the Ravens. And again, that game obviously has some playoff implications coming up to it as well. Ted and all of our guests today on the Mower Shop in Fisher's guest line, and you are listening on the drivehubler.com studios. We'll take this quick time out. We'll come back and try to make sense of all of this when we come back on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The voice has held up. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Got like 10 more minutes left to go. Then I get a slight reprieve until I'm yapping again into a microphone uh, at, say, 6 o'clock tonight. Um, you know at this time of year, you want to find me, the best place is to go to a high school gym in an evening. Good chance I'll be there. Uh, ben Davis in North Central, my doubleheader this evening. You can uh, watch those on the ISC Sports Network. Boys game available on my Indy TV. Then tomorrow... Maybe the Hendricks County Finals, the girls at six, the boys to follow. That is from Danville, and both of those games available on my Indy TV as well. Tomorrow morning, soccer Saturday, uh, and then uh, on Sunday, if you're at the game, I have been told there will be a lot of red zone highlights, as in we will keep you up to date as to what is happening in the other games that have playoff implications, so... Um, you'll hear me over the PA during the game a fair amount. And on the drive home, you can find me on Hank FM because the Pacers will be here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Eddie, I assume there is a podcast page available for this here newly fangled, potentially temporary show. Yep. 107.5thefan.com or you can find our conversations with Kyle Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star talking all things high school basketball with him. We discussed, hey, this Ben Davis team that is 12-0 and number one in the state and off to their best start as a program in 29 years. Are they like the Warren Central team from five years ago that finished 32-0? My thought is yes, and Kyle tended to agree. Talked about Mr. Basketball favorite as of now, and right now that might be Marcus Burton of Penn, who has potentially surpassed Xavier Booker in the running for that. Obviously a lot of ground to cover with, oh, I don't know, 13 weeks left to go, maybe 11 weeks left to go in terms of how that will shape up. Uh, But that's some of the things that are on my radar from a high school basketball standpoint. Indiana Pacers are in action tonight. Blazers the opponent. 6.30 pregame coverage start time on 93.5 and 107.5 the fam. Um, Pacers 21 and 18. Yeah, disappointed in how things played out against the Sixers on Wednesday. But big picture, 
It's a playoff team. And this is a team that is light years in front of where we thought they would be. And a team that is very much worth your time right now. So tonight, 6.30, if you're not going to make it down to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Kevin Bowen joined us. Kevin, of course, morning show. Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We talked about a lot of things in terms of what we think this roster will look like, what we think free agency will look look like. But obviously, there's a couple of big things that that have to be determined. It's Chris Ballard, your GM, one. Okay. Secondly, is Jeff Saturday your head coach? Then once you make both of those determinations, then it comes down to, all right, what's your staff going to look like? Because you got to remember that not just to make a move on your head coach, made a move on your offense coordinator, had another position coach leave. It's, it, you know, it, it, that's been a, a thin staff uh, in terms of, of on the offensive side. And, you know, if, if it's Jeff Saturday, will you give him the chance to hire his own coaches? There's going to be a lot of coaching churn regardless of whatever the head coaching decision is going to be. Once you set that and set your philosophies and set whom your offense coordinator is going to be and your defensive coordinator is going to be, then at that point and time, then you can figure out, all right, now are you looking to target in free agency? And I do think that, again, because of the positioning as to where this team will be drafting, it is more about the draft than, say, hitting it big in free agency this year. But regardless of whom the general manager is going to be, regardless of whom the head coach is going to be, to me, you have to take a quarterback with that first-round pick. Again, the best-case scenario for those from the uh, tanking perspective, the, the best the Colts could do would be to get to number three. The worst, so to speak, with a win and a potential Rams loss would be number six. The different scenarios, frankly, they will play themselves out as the next three and a half months go along. But in terms of the a, a quarterback that would be a potential franchise piece, we don't know. But the early intelligence is yeah, there'll be a starting caliber quarterback available even at pick number six. And obviously the Colts could potentially move up. I'm not sure they're moving down. So while so many of the decisions for this football team, we have to have some clarity over the next few days as to how that is going to play out and take place. But once we get that, now you can start, again, I, I think regardless of that, quarterback is where we're going quarterback is where this thing needs to go and I'll trot this analogy out one more time this group has patched a flat tire and made their best efforts to do so over the course of each of the last four seasons at some point in time you can't salvage it at some point in time that thing's going to blow well you can take this however you want it blew throughout the course of 2022 pretty good way to describe how things play out or how things played out for this football team time to bring in that piece that you can then build around and have that 
have that seemingly off-season question mark that has been such a question mark, even dating back to the end of Andrew Luck's tenure when he's healthy. I mean, let's face it. You know, we've had the different opening day starter every year, you know, for the last six, seven years, whatever the case may be. Well, that in theory, you're going to add one more to that. You know, that coming up next year. But then hopefully the same guy that starts the first game of 2023 is the same guy that starts the first game of 2024 and 25 and so on and so forth. So a lot of questions that we can't answer right now. Jim Ursay has to figure out the answers to those questions. And then once those questions are figured out, then either the people that you retain to do those jobs or the new people that you bring in to do those jobs, well, that then we can start to have more discussions and more speculation. But if there's one thing that regardless of whom is making those calls, regardless of who is making those decisions, it's that quarterback has to be the draft priority for the Colts in round number one. At least in my sometimes, not always, humble opinion on the subject. Eddie, anything else for the good of the cause on this afternoon? Uh, I can't think of anything else. I think you hit on it pretty well. I uh, hope you and the family have a good weekend. Hope you enjoy the game tonight. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're in here on Pacers duty tonight as well. I am, yes. All right. Blazers again, the opponent tonight. Obviously, a chance to see Damian Lillard at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, but again, you know what's, what's interesting about this Pacers season, and not just the Pacers season, and when we had Scott Agnes on earlier in the show, he touched on this. If you look at records, there are very good NBA teams this year. Pacers are surprisingly good. I wouldn't put them in that contender status or very good status just yet. But I'm not sure there's great this year in the NBA. And maybe that is just teams realizing it's a long 82-game season. But I don't think there's a team that's getting to 60 wins this year. Because every team at least has double-digit losses this season. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen an NBA season where there is this much parity and teams in the standings are seemingly so compact pacers are 21 and 18 which is great they're like six games out of first i'm not sitting here saying the pacers are the number one seed you know this is not the pacers of 2014 2013 2014 where we were kind of white knuckling every game to make sure they were the number one seed and they had home court advantage against lebron and the miami heat no that's not what i'm saying but just a quick observation it's a pretty compact NBA this year, which I think largely is a good thing for so many for, for so many involved. Pacers and Blazers tonight. Make sure you're tuning in here. If high school basketball is more of uh, your cup of tea, then I got you covered. Six o'clock for the girls, boys to follow. North Central Ben Davis ISC Sports Network is where you can find it. And again, for those of you that uh, get my NDTV 23. I'll have coverage for you starting at 7.30. Again, go to the podcast page and tune in if you'd like to rehear our interviews today from Kyle Nenderip, Scott Agnes, Kevin Bowen, and Ted Karras. All those available to you at 1075thefan.com. JMV, I'm sure sponsored by Bud Light, is at a location that is not the drivehubler.com studio. A final Blue Friday for this Colts season. John's got you covered coming up next. And hopefully he found that gift that I left for him on Sunday. 
because as of Tuesday, he had not been back to his actual desk yet to find it. So in fact, I think the thing that I'm going to do as soon as I sign off is walk straight back to his desk since I apparently know where it is better than he does. Let's see if he found the gift I left for him. Maybe he'll lead the show with that. Thank you for listening. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.